everybody this is wrong real episode 475 it's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles and we tackle everything from john goddard to jean-luc picard and today we got wrong real co-founder filmmaker mikhail karadimov coming back to discuss his favorite filmmaker paul thomas anderson but it's not from the angle that you would expect we're gonna be tackling today his music videos and riding shotgun with mikhail we got Carlo Pengelangan Labrador, who is, I think, right up there with you in terms of admiration for PTA, but not always about, so. but not always about the same <laughs> films or about the same. No, uh, but he like straight. Uh, I think he straight up dislikes certain movies where I don't dislike anything <laughs> yes. he's produced so far. Yeah, there it is. Gotcha, but Carlo, welcome back to Wrong Real. How have you been? Uh, I've been good. Yeah, I, I just want to say uh, Boogie Night. Wow, that's all I want to say. Boogie Night Wow. Is that Boogie the prequel Night, wow. to Boogie Nights? Yeah. Or... <laughs> Is it directed by someone else? <laughs> the, there's this bit in Portlandia where they go to like this fake newspaper and then they say that they're a fan of PTA films. I'll send you guys the clip. It's okay. just hilarious. And they're all Thai, so they, they pronounce it Boogie, Boogie Night. Night Wow. Oh, gotcha. Oh, very, very nice. I like it. That is funny. Well, cool. Yeah. What, what has been going on? I guess we did an episode a couple months ago about uh, long movies. You know, too long, too short, or just right. But I guess it's maybe been two or three months since we recorded. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Um, I mean, I've been just uh, trying to catch up with uh, my movie watching. There's been a lot coming out that's been good. And uh, yeah, been uh, it's been fun diving into PTA's like musical videography as well. So. That's funny. I've been watching absolutely nothing new. I see a move, maybe one movie a month in theaters now. You've reached the phase where you're, are you just like bitter and jaded and cynical? Uh, and no, 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 absolutely movies, not. Or? No, but uh, my 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 future uh, father-in-law has a nice, huge ass fucking TV upstate where things are quiet other than the crickets. Yeah. And so you want to see Hobbs and Shaw, bro? Oh, I did see Hobbs and Shaw. That's the one. <laughs> I see those movies once a month. I see Hobbs and Shaw once a month and shit like that. Yeah, or like I saw Midsommar, which. Whatever, disappointing. Yeah, really. Yeah, in I love Midsommar. I was in a big. Uh, yeah, I, I, was... I enjoyed it watching it. Uh, I can't say that a movie has dissipated like just slowly, drip by drip, from my memory. I was so upset with it. I loved Hereditary. Hereditary is one of my favorite debuts of all time. I loved Hereditary too, but after Midsommar, I was like splayed out in my chair like a big starfish, like someone had shot me in the head, and I was like wow that was a fucking movie like a movie movie and yeah. it was, i could tell the entire audience was like in, under its spells well like no one had their phones out no one was talking it was a, probably the best movie going experience i've had all year in terms of the audience being on the same wavelength and appreciating it and enjoying it and yeah, yeah. I, I had a great experience i mean everyone else in my audience seemed to have liked it there was something i found out that he has a director's cut that has about 30 more minutes to it 
I actually oh, from that Ari Aster interview that he yeah. did with uh, David Eggers. Yeah, I actually came out of it thinking oh, it was the A24. I think you did the A24 like Inside. What's it called? A24. In, anyway, that's yeah. some special name, but cool, very cool podcast to record together. It was, uh, I came out of it thinking, oh my god, that movie actually needed more breath to it. Like I actually thought it was kind of rushed. I think a lot of the characterizations were just characterizations and not people necessarily. Um, and as much as I love the humor in it, I thought all this uh, sociology anthropology bros were kind of just labeled as such, and that's about it. Right. I feel like there was a lot of less... I've never met an anthropology bro. <laughs> I mean, anyone in graduate school right now is a fucking bro. Like, everyone's a bro. By... <laughs> I guess this is a continuation <laughs> of our last episode. But yeah, everyone's a bro now. They don't want to admit to it, but those dudes were bros. They were wearing their V-necks and their tight jeans and shit, and they were like, bro, I'm going to fucking take care of this story. Anyway, that all being said, I, I just um, I don't think the characters had as much depth to them as I felt Hereditary did, minus like Gabriel Byrne. And then I kind of feel like Francis Pugh is still doing what Tony Collette has to do of like going through a bunch of grief and rage all at the same time. But Tony Collette's an older, more experienced actress, so I felt like it was real from her. Whereas Francis Pugh, there were shots where tears were not coming out of her eyes anymore. And she clearly just had to hold a grimace for take three or something. And I just didn't buy it as much as I did in that movie. Well, what about Hobbs and Shaw? Because I know that... Yo, Hobbs and Shaw, though, that was authenticity. (laughs) Yeah, but for you, where do you fall in the Fast and Furious controversy where, because I know the the, the fan base... The splitting. And the the cast are divided. Like, the writers and producers, like, certain producers aren't even allowed to, like be associated with anymore. Well, I know and Michelle I saw, Rodriguez just fucking shat on Chris Morgan who's been writing it since yeah, Tokyo Drift. She's like, who is he? Like, he's some newcomer. Like, he's written like six of them. Like, what are you, yeah. what are you talking yeah. about? So um, it seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of strife behind the scenes. Listen, it's never going to come back to the levels of Fast Five. I've come to terms with that. So I'm okay with just <laughs> watching the Looney Tunes spin-off sequels, whatever the fuck they want. Like, name them i just showed my father-in-law fucking fast five that movie is an equalizer halfway through he's like well you know this is actually interesting what do you think about <laughs> the addition of superheroes due to the franchise like black superman oh, oh no but here's the thing so idris elba when i first saw the trailer for Shaw and hobbs what really made me excited is that we've all been talking about since fast six how this is basically when are they going to do fast and furious versus the avengers because they're clearly or fast and furious taking, in space so. yeah taking them the route of superheroes so that the fact that they finally have listened to the fans and made them superheroes straight up let's go for it i i, I enjoyed the movie whatever their beef is i don't care as long as the quality of the film stay at that level eight out of ten i'm fine with that okay beautiful <laughs> yeah <laughs> now carla have you had a chance to see fast and furious presents i have not no um yeah, I'm pretty slow on the uptake with blockbusters. Uh, so, really, I feel like you um, watched more of them this year than I have. You saw Shazam uh, in theaters, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Shazam. What but about that the was live like a action week. Lion King or Aladdin? Oh, you oh know my he was all over god! It. You I, know he was all over I, it. I wanted to forget that. Also, <laughs> live action Lion King. It's still all yeah. animated. So what the fuck are people talking about? <laughs> it looks live action, man. That's no, fucking bullshit. I, I have not seen live action Lion King, but I think it's at 1.3 billion now. I think it's the 12th highest grossing film ever at this point. And for me, it's like, I heard it's just like a really strange situation where you have this photorealistic CGI, quote unquote, live action footage where these animals without expressions are singing songs. But like with a with a two D animated cell animated movie, it makes sense because they're expressive and they have personalities. Yeah. But if you just see like a lion who looks like he's out like 
eating hyenas butt cheeks whatever for, for breakfast just singing songs it's kind of disconcerting and I actually it, like <laughs> that I like what you're pitching to me like I want to see the rated R version Lion King where it's just like they eviscerate an animal and then start singing with blood all over their muzzle that actually I think I, I pitched a better movie but anyway it, but it's been wildly popular but I, don't, I haven't met anybody who actually likes it but do they also have like the extravagant sort of like 1930s 40s like dance sequences of like people I don't know, doing basically what was akin to synchronized dancing and shit. Like the song, I just can't wait to be can't king. Be king yeah, where they're all like, like uh, mounting each other and yeah. it becomes a mountain of animals. That I don't know. That I would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I'm kind of like curious. Right. But yeah, I just had to watch Chef again to like kind of, you know, wash the the horrible taste of that movie off and remind myself how good John Favreau can be actually if he gives a shit. So you rewatch Chef. So. <laughs> I will be yeah, watching we'll The Mandalorian. Yeah. I'm curious, but John Favreau, he's he's a he's a layperson director. He's a, he's a he's kind of he's a he's a very reliable craftsman. I think he has no real vision, but he obviously has been wildly successful. But I guess one of the, my favorite parts about John Favreau recently is that episode of Chef where Gwyneth Paltrow seemed really confused about which oh, Marvel yes. movie she's appeared in, and yeah. she's like, "I wasn't in Avengers, like you know, I was I wasn't in Spider Man, I was in Avengers." Like, yeah, but don't you remember that scene we shot in Spider Man Homecoming, the last scene? And she's like, "What? What?" And then apparently recently she got really confused about why Samuel L. Jackson was there for that scene in Endgame. And they had to explain to her that she'd been in, that he'd been in pretty much every single one of those movies since the first one in two thousand eight, but she had no idea Samuel Jackson was in any of the Marvel movies. Like, oh, she's super. I mean, those are the only movies she makes anymore. She's clear. They call her. They say, "Here's a million dollars." She says, "Okay." Doesn't realize that the director is not John Favreau anymore. <laughs> you know, well, like how can you act in a movie and not even know? Like you look at a yeah, call sheet like, and see what the fuck movie you're in. But dude, who even fucking knows with these movies anymore? What they like function like? I mean, we all know that those studio flicks at this point are it's all producers. So what is an actual director's function on these sets? Now I'm actually kind of curious. Do they have direct conversations with actors? Marvel Do just... doesn't even need directors anymore. I heard recently no, that they not. have special effects sequences. Are Already prevised and mapped out before yeah, they even hire the director. Do you, uh, you watch? Uh, is that YouTube channel William H. Something? I don't know. Uh, so there's this one guy. Uh, he did like an hour and a half of why he doesn't think he likes Marvel movies past Phase One, even though originally he liked uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier and all that shit. That's Phase Two, bro. That's Phase Two. No, but he, <laughs> the, he's he's realizing that he actually only likes Phase One. And one of the things is special effects. If you look at Iron Man three, or if you look at Iron Man's outfit in Infinity Wars, it looks a lot worse actually than the original special effects of it in the first one because Hollywood is stretching the SFX crews like nationwide thin. There are apparently not enough people. So someone said recently also in an interview that like, yeah, there are unfinished shots going into the movie into the theaters. Because it's just a total wow. it's, it's city to, of, it's of to the last 24 hours. They just keep going, keep going. And wow. there are unfinished FX shots in movies. And I did realize that watching Infinity Wars, especially with Iron Man 2, I was like, and also Black Panther, because I actually thought Black Panther, despite its budget, is one of the worst SFX work in any Marvel movie. And I was trying to figure out why, because the early movies, I never really questioned it. And it, that's why. They're just stretching them too thin. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, I think Taika Waititi still has a voice, and he can bring a voice to the screen. I think there are a few exceptions. Well, so is, what's his name? Um, Gunn. But I think it's one. It's also... A, but they're becoming less and less relevant to the Marvel assembly line product. Yeah, but it's also yeah. a question of, like, those those movies, they're all set out in space, so it's all special effects, so it's easy to kind of make everything look cartoonish and then kind of right. give that gleam, whereas when there is some practical shit in the shot... So also, for instance, Iron Man, apparently, if I'm if I remember correctly... The first one had 
800 visual effect shots and then like go into phase two a movie on average had 1100 and now it's like up to 3000 or some shit so they are just creating more and more work for themselves that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be there also i think it's kind of killing the direction of these movies that everything's kind of starting to have that prequel vibe to star wars like the star wars prequel vibe like everything's just kind of green screen and no one knows what world they're standing in especially with the outro well yeah <laughs> well yeah <laughs> well as a way of switching gears nice and just, yeah and getting getting on target paul thomas anderson <laughs> It's funny, he doesn't True. necessarily crank up movies necessarily that often, but he's never idle. He cranks up documentaries, he cranks up music videos, and I had no idea just how many fucking music videos he has cranked out since the late 90s, but it's yeah. a bucket full of shorts. So obviously today, this is all about y'all's thoughts on PTA and how much y'all love and adore his, his approach, but feel free to, to chime in about his flicks when you so desire. But we're gonna try and keep the focus on his music videos because I feel like a lot of people just aren't aware of this output. And we're gonna start with the big one they did recently. It's like 15 minutes long, he did it for Netflix, which I think you saw in 70 millimeter in the, in the theater. I saw an IMAX. Is it Anima yeah, or I Anima? Uh, I've been saying anima. Anima, all right. Well, anima, yeah. which is too close to anima, I suppose. Or just anime or whatever. <laughs> yeah. In any event, Carlo, what is anima, and how did you first see it? Just give give us your your, your first thoughts. All right. Um, so yeah, I saw it on IMAX. Uh, it's actually the second PTA um, music video I've seen on the big screen. Because uh, yeah, this, uh, it's a funny story. Um, I went to the New Bev, which is Tarantino's theater, Love and the this was like. Yeah, like in 2016, um, I went to see like a William Friedkin double bill. It was um, to live and die in L.A. and uh, Revenge. And they surprised us at the beginning of the screening. And they said like, but I thought Revenge hey, is uh, Tony Scott. Though. You don't want the Kevin Costner flight? Um, no, there's another movie called Revenge. Oh, another movie called Revenge. <laughs> gotcha. Did it beat yeah, Tony Scott to the screen or did it, was it a yeah. Johnny Come Lately? Uh, I think it was like 1990. So I don't know where the Tony Scott one falls. Interesting. Right. So, I'm going to look it up like, while you talk. Yeah, yeah, but it's like a serial killer movie. It's actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, so before the screening, like uh, somebody comes out and like makes announcements and whatever, and they said, "Oh, we got a surprise for you!" Like basically, PTA just struck a new print for this. Are you new sure video you didn't see Rampage, not Revenge? Oh, Rampage. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sorry, Revenge I, I is Tony Scott, but Rampage was yes. early. But Rampage Rampage. came out Rampage. in 1987. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so yeah, uh, they said, yeah, uh, PTA just struck a new film print for, um, Radiohead's, uh, video, uh, Daydreaming. Hmm. So we have it for you to play before this, um, movie. And I was just like completely taken aback by it because I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to see this music video. And you of course so, you were so surprised that a hack could pull something like that off. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing that actually so, might be my favorite pta video yeah that's a good one yeah. yeah and leading up to the imax screening it was the same thing even though i was more prepared because that was the only thing i was going to see because uh, i mean mikhail you can probably speak to this too it's like um you had to pay a dollar to go see it and it played um only in the the proper imax screen so you know how there's like fake imax screens they're called limax where they're not the the full proportion so yeah. They deliberately selected the nationwide theaters that only have the full IMAX yeah, yeah. Um, to play, which is great because, like, I would have not want to settle. But um, so I had to pay a dollar, and I got like uh, one of the. I always like to sit in the back, and here's the thing: I want to ask Mikhail to yeah, about to my chagrin. Like, <laughs> so. Well, you sit in the, the back, IMAX you get screen. the full perspective, and if you get right. if you sit up front, you get the immersive experience. So some people like to uh, appreciate the frame. Some people and, like to see, yeah, the black edges and yeah, everything. I like the immersive yeah. experience, and also I don't have to look at people's cell phones if I'm in the front row. So. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, so you guys watch? Uh, I do front row center. For I don't do movie. front row. Uh, okay. I, no, no. Okay. I mean, actually, Brittany's on your side. Brittany, a friend yeah. of the podcast. She she loves the first three rows, and I think that's fucking insane. Also, as a six foot three four person, I do not want to <laughs> arch my neck for two and a half hours if, the, right. if that's the case for that movie. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so. I was I was just overwhelmed by it too. Like I had, you know, I didn't even like follow the actual story of Anima until um, I watched it the second time on Netflix. Like um, so, the first time was just like completely soaking it in. Like the music just comes in, and um, uh, like yeah, the very first shot of the the piece is like a subway tunnel, and that just like grips me completely. Reminds me like, like so much of a Kieslowski actually a little bit. So there is uh, the the opening shot in blue where they're driving through a tunnel, but even like the yes. wired shots in um, red when he's just going through like all the wires in the phone yeah, line right. or something like that. Well, I mean, I, also then I started thinking about it. apparently a lot of filmmakers have done this, but it was incredible. Like, you know, I, I started thinking practic in a practical manner of just like what does it take to go and convince a city to be like, or like I have to go to the MTA and be like, I'm gonna attach a camera to the front of your fucking train. Say, yeah. pay me the money, and yeah. they let you do it. So. <laughs> so, I mean, some cities are more film friendly than others, but yeah. a lot of a lot of cities desperately want that revenue because also it's a great oh. ad- advertisement for your for your city, depending upon your movie. Because it was shot in uh, Prague and and in in France somewhere in France, in France. Like okay. Paris. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe I don't think Paris. It was like a, a smaller known town, I think, or city okay. rather. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you're just thrown into it. So Tom York, he's the protagonist in this short film. He's taking the subway train, and I, uh, yeah, it was, like, a moment that I totally could relate to, like, if you've ever taken the subway, like, super early, even in New York City, and you just see all these people, like, still, like, on the verge of sleep, like, they're still sleepy, and they have to come into work, and I, I really felt like, you know, that sequence captured it so perfectly, and obviously it was it was choreographed, but just beautiful choreography. Was with it like Damien Gillet or Gillette who did all the choreography for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was and, like it's uh, like like experimental dance kind well, of ballet his, uh, choreography. And it's uh, Tom York's like go to choreography uh, choreographer for the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, like since he started he, doing his own solo work. Right? Did he choreograph that Radiohead video too, where he's dancing? It's black and white. I forgot what. I don't know. I just know I've seen like was, earlier yeah. Tom York solo yeah. uh, tracks where he's been like. Uh, I remember there's a music video from years ago. I came. I can't like pin it down right now, but he like dances with a Japanese woman the entire time through. But I feel like okay. he's been working with this guy for a fairly long time now. Like uh-huh. when when he had. Uh, Oh, shit, what was the what was his first solo album? Like they use a track of it in Prestige to close the movie out with. I think it was uh, called like Eraser <laughs> or something, or Erasure yeah. or some. I don't. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. If only there was like I think a it was Tom ra- York fan yeah, in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we should have brought Becky in on this. Becky Deanna is probably the biggest Radiohead fan I know, and a Tom York fanatic. Like I really enjoy Radiohead, and I've owned a bunch of their albums, but I would never even pretend to be like a Radiohead Neither, uh, yeah. diehard. But I'm also I'm just not like a. And this is gonna sound like real stupid when we're trying to talk about like the musicality of Paul Thomas Anderson and everything. But I'm not a huge music person either. Like I do like Radiohead and Rainbows is one of my favorite albums and I'll listen to it. That's over my favorite and... album too. Yeah. Well, it's one. Yeah. And it, I'll listen yeah. to it over and over again. But to say that I then hunted down interviews for them to explain it to me or right. was interested. The only thing I really know about it because I just remember it when it came out was the first album to really be like, you pay whatever the fuck you want and pay us. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and then for, you can for have a band it. that huge to just say that it's like, yeah, you well, also because you there's want. a psychological effect to it where people will end up being like, oh, well, now that you're actually kind of asking us to and just being kind and like letting us set the price, I'll give you at least a dollar, man. Which right. is, you know, instead of people stealing the album, they start thinking like, oh, shit, they already know what we're up to. I'll give them a dollar because they're being so blunt and forward about it. Right. It's a nice effect. Yeah. But yeah, I've always been a Radiohead fan. I actually would argue that Radiohead is probably the last uh, band that would you could like look back and say, oh, they defined the decade, they defined the generation of sorts. Yeah. That's a huge fucking band, the way that people also looked at the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or Aerosmith, like these big bands, right. whereas everything yeah, else is kind the of oversaturated. Yeah, before, before the fracturing of media the into a mil- and million yeah. little platforms yeah. and a little million little channels, they were huge in the 90s. And the 90s is that last big gasp where, like, last where a decade, show yeah. could be viewed by 60 million people or a music video could be seen by essentially everybody but yeah bands like Oasis bands like Radiohead really helped define the 90s but now it's like can a group ever even achieve those heights again because it's just so hard to dominate any one platform although if you look at their music videos on YouTube some of them have like 40 million views 50 million views but they don't have like that like Gangnam style, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. run away, what, right. one billion views and things like that. I mean, but they they've transit I, I, more so than any band who was big on that cusp. I can't really think who's transitioned so eloquently and so uh, graciously into yeah. the next fold. Like you Eminem, know? but he's I more mean, late nineties. Yeah. Like Eminem, but Eminem also had to like sell out on a real hard way to kind of cross over. Like then he had the to Rihanna. start doing like Z one hundred. Yeah, yeah, Z one hundred. I like that Rihanna collaboration. I mean, the, uh, love the way you lie. No, there's nothing wrong with it, but like he he. Did it, he, it wasn't as fucking transgressive yeah. as what he I was doing before in any way, shape, or form. I still remember like, what a left turn Kid A was, you know, because everybody was so enamored with Paranoid Android. And okay. that, that was the turning yeah. point for me. When yeah. I first heard yeah. Kid A, I was in Texas working on a short film called Triple Threat, and we were driving to location, and the producer put in the, the first track of Kid A, and I was like, what the fuck is this? He was like, that's Radiohead. <laughs> and I was kind of vaguely aware of Radiohead in college, but I was such like an old fogey when it came to like my classic rock music, and I was so enamored with movies. I just wasn't following contemporary music, but then I bought Kid A, loved it, and then bought OK Computer, and then just started, started buying everything. But yeah, Kid A was my doorway into becoming a fan. Well, Kid A though was actually also one of the first albums I was listening to as a kid. And was like that's there's that one where it's basically like a Steve Hawkins type voice all the way through, like doing the song. More, I was like, more this produ- is more productive, fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, like, what am I listening to? It like simultaneously got me going, but simultaneously scared the shit out of me. I don't know. Yeah, good album to smoke weed too. I, mean, I was driving cross country and I put in Kid A and listened to it like I think three or four times over. I was like, yeah, I'm in the zone. But it was, it was a good driving album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say that song though for those Radiohead fans, the fitter, happier is is on OK Computer. It's not on Kid A. <laughs> um, oh, that, okay, gotcha. Also, yeah, but also the other thing is, um, you know, I was just looking at it like <laughs> all the huge bands who've reached like Radiohead's type of stature, their band members have stayed the same throughout the whole time. Like, they've never changed. Like, you see how, like, when you look at Wikipedia and then it says, like, former band members. Like, Radiohead doesn't have that section. Like, it, it's still the same guys. I mean, the thing is, it does help that two of them are brothers. So, uh, Colin and Johnny Greenwood are brothers. So, um, that, and, but that kind of bond and just, like, being able to stay together being such a huge band is just incredible. Well, it's also, I mean, and, the thing I've always been curious about, though, is... Uh since you obviously do know more about them than either of us, <laughs> the the transition from just like practical in- or like practical sounds and actual instruments and things like that into more computerized music, how do they perform live anymore? Like, what did they do with the other band members who don't necessarily have as much? Oh, 
Yeah. I mean, they, they still play real instruments, but it's just like they evolved. Like Johnny Greenwood still plays guitar from time to time, but he started moving towards like keyboards. Well, I mean, no, he's and, he's been doing that for a bit. Yeah. 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 But um, no, I mean, the, there's still guitars in there. It's just like it's it's sparingly used. And I, I actually thought like um, a moon-shaped pool kind of was going back to like an older Radiohead sound. Like that, that sounded more to me like closer to the bends than it did like any of their recent stuff. What did you think you of know? King of Limbs though? Because I remember after In Rainbows, King of wow. Limbs came out with its eight tracks, and I was wildly disappointed yeah. with most of it except for like two tracks. Well, there's a track on it called Little by Little, and I think it was like the single that they released. I like that track a lot. Okay. But um, yeah, but In Rainbows, it just has so many winners on it. Like they, it's so strange how they. It sounds like an album. I guess maybe that was the thing about it, that it cheapened it, that it was given away for free, that like, oh, this might just actually be like outtakes or B-sides or something. Like nothing really stands out as like a single in that album. But for some reason, it works. It really... Oh, I don't like, know. About, what, what, what's that first one? Um, how many steps? What is it? How, what's the number? 15, 15 steps. 15 steps yeah. is a pretty damn good track. Yeah. And I think in... Uh, I, I think... Um, Reckoner, I think Reckoner is yeah, exactly. a fucking banger of a track, man. <laughs> well, I like them even when they're not playing their own shit. Like they're probably the only people who've ever done Neil Young's After the Gold Rush well because he's probably the only person who can imitate Neil Young's high fucking voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard song to sing unless you're just yeah. gonna chop your balls off and go pure falsetto. Yeah. But yeah, that, that that's a tough one. Uh, to, but let, but let's say let's keep the focus on right, Anima yeah, yeah. here for a bit. Right, yeah, so let's so go back. So, for people out there who have not seen it, make the pitch, Mikhail. Why should somebody hop on Netflix and watch Anima? Well, uh, shit, man. Why? Because first of all, Netflix decided to go the fuck out of its way to advertise a 15-minute short, which has Netflix done yet? Has Netflix gone out of its way to fucking do anything like that? No. So I think people should just stand up and be like, what the fuck is so special about a 15-minute product? And yes, we understand that we have Radiohead and we have Paul Thomas Anderson, but that doesn't necessarily cross over in a huge way that would gain people that many numbers that they would be proud of. I think that alone to fucking be able to convince a conglomerate of that sort of size and stature to do something so artistic and uh, abstract is kind of just fascinating in today's day and age. Well, also. Netflix is, people like to bash Netflix, but they do things like restore lost Orson Welles movies or give Martin Scorsese a chance to work with all of his old actors or they make documentaries Well, they might Aaron stop Morris. soon based off of what we've been hearing from Netflix. True. But for the last couple of years though, Netflix, everyone likes to think they're like the, the great nemesis and that they're killing the theatrical model, blah, blah, blah. I do see Netflix taking chances that I admire with filmmakers I really respect. So they, they have my full support. I will argue this though. And I I do respect Netflix for that too. And I you know Roma I loved Roma and they are giving yeah, a case, bunch of people case, homes. Case in point. Yeah no I, sure, but the problem is now I think Netflix was a gold rush. It was the Western frontier, and it really right. was to a certain extent that they got they had so many billions of dollars that they borrowed that they got a little fucking hot and heavy about like we'll just accept anything right now that sounds remotely interesting because I bet that all you had to do to come into Netflix was pitch I have the next Game of Thrones and be like. Stop, give it to us. I have the next <laughs> fucking prison show. Stop, give it to us. They had so much fucking money, and they basically admitted that with uh, Triple Frontier, that um, J.C. Chandler movie, a dude that, J.C. Chandler? Yeah, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, Chandler. Uh, so yeah. I, I do like all three of his movies before that. I haven't watched this movie. It 
cost $110 million to make for some reason. That's too much. I saw it in the theater and I enjoyed it, but they should not have spent $110 million. Well, it bombed. So it bombed. Like, so the thing is that they they, it, they were like a shotgun. They were spraying it everywhere without really necessarily that's focusing incredible. in on something. I had something. no idea they spent that much on it. Yeah, no. So that, but that was wow. the thing that that's when they decided to, they've used that as an example as to why they've decided to be like, we're going to be breaks. a little bit more that's decisive in Fiscally our responsible. Yeah. Because I'm sure they did burn through a shit ton of their billions of dollars, realize certain properties in a big way were not hitting. Also, you can look through Netflix. There's so much shit that they have not promoted at all. But it's their property that they fucking created because they were so hungry just to be like, we don't want anyone else's property one on to all be Netflix property. Which is, yes, that's smart, but I would have said maybe take your time a little bit more and be a little bit more discerning than you have been. Well, thank goodness they didn't. Take their well, do with Anima. So yeah, my they, pitch they, to that, though, is that, like, yeah, sure, take this arbitrary moment and watch this fucking thing. The, the other thing I would say is that, um, I don't know, I did also watch it in IMAX the first time, and, like, my heart just swelled up. I think that Paul Thomas Anderson, and this is a perfect example of it, uh, shows just how romantic of a man he is. Yes. And I mean with a yeah. capital R, not in that, like, oh, he got me flowers on a fucking date. That's not what I mean by romantic, is that he has lofty notions that are attached to all these human emotions and i do and i would argue to say that this has been the most uh forward expression of that the most outburst expression of uh, of his romantic side in a very long time uh, except yeah. maybe you know phantom thread i guess maybe was showing that he's ready to go back in that direction but it was that, in a I remember you and I, like i feel like uh, in anime it was like just there was a more of a, a direct kind of expression. Of well, it, it was, yeah, it was a pure, like dialogue's not going to get in the way. These are just like images that are going to shoot straight to your heart. And my eyes. All right. So this, I've watched it maybe 20 times. I don't know. Since it's so short, it's so easy to consume. Uh, right. Maybe the third or fourth time I watched it, that last section. So I, fe- I would argue that the movie, the short film, I call it a short film is broken up into thirds. So you have the section yeah. at the beginning where he, Spots her on the bus. They're all doing their little sleepy dance. Uh, the pail is left behind. He chases after her in the subway, and then he gets yanked back. When he gets yanked back, we go into the second act. Now he's just running to try to catch up to her. And so we get the great, beautiful set piece on that fucking mm-hmm. white canvas stage that is tilted yeah. with and, the most gorgeous fucking lighting. Yeah. Right, and that's one of the reasons to see it in IMAX because the Those, sheer that scale- scene specifically is the most yeah. IMAX friendly scene for right. sure. And then yeah. you have the last section where he catches up to her. They start spinning against that wall, and it's just them kind of running away from the forces of whatever their society is. They get back on the bus. So I, it has a three act structure, which I think is beautiful. Uh-huh. And but you, you it, that last section just makes me cry. It always makes me tear up just because it's so bittersweet, and that they finally capture that. But then you see them running away from these forces, and at the end, they just go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right. So they go back into the fucking routine of whatever they do. And so that all being said, that's why people should watch it. <laughs> Carl, what do you think <laughs> yeah, of the tune? Saw- if you if you take okay. the visuals out entirely, take like disregard the movie. Is this just a, a Tom York Radiohead tune that you would pop in and just listen to while driving around, or is it is it coupled with the movie in a way where they're inseparable for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I asked myself the same question actually when I first heard it because when I watch it, like I'm totally into the music, but you know, when something is essential for me music wise, like it would be on my phone. Like I don't actually use like uh, what is it, uh, Spotify or like. Um, uh, Apple Music to stream my music. I still am old fashioned. Like I like to 
put my music on iTunes and download it onto my phone. So old fashioned. And then I, <laughs> I play it that way. So uh, it just the music didn't seem that essential for me to listen to it mm. separately. But I, I well, did. Me, the song that. really gets good around the eight thirty mark, where it has a pivot. I guess yeah. it's like the beginning of the third act, but the style changes dramatically. I'm not as married to the music in the opening part, but around the eight thirty mark, I was like, huh. This is beautiful. Yeah. I'm into it. Now, this is like a Tom York composition that I can really give well, myself over I to. I like the last third of music, um, especially the fact that he says uh, when, when uh, there's one line where I think they're running away from everyone's like dancing towards them and the fog's coming down um, the alley or whatever the place they're running down. And so he says, chop, chop. And I don't remember the last time someone said chop, chop to mean like hurry the fuck up. Which I really just love that. I don't know why, but it's stuck out of my head. And I love that expression. I even put it into my script yeah. recently. But then nice. um, I do. There's one sound where, that where I love. Where the hell does that expression come from? Chop, chop, chop. Let's get out of here. It's like, but like, it, I guess when like you're chopping things quickly, it's just like chop, chop. Maybe, but I feel like it's been around for forever. Oh, I've never, forever. Yeah, I've yeah. Never possibly. Well, where the hell? But it's from? been around forever. But I also hadn't heard it in forever. Yeah. Also, so I, I just thought that was interesting. And I do. There's one sound that I fucking love, especially when they all start dancing on that white canvas board. It's like. Vroom, vroom. It was just this sort of vroom, vroom. I can't. I don't know how the fuck to describe it. <laughs> and it's just yeah. I, I love that shit. So I actually do like the music all the way through, to the point yeah. where I have been listening to um, the album and whatnot. But it is a perfect marriage, I think, of images mm-hmm. or uh, images of anxiety. And his music's always been about anxiety, also. Right. Like so, and, and I, you I, have I those two things. I will say that, like, one of the viewings that I did of the music video was just like not have the visuals like I, I put it on my laptop and just kind of uh, turn down the brightness and lay in my bed and just listen to the music without the visuals and it works it still works but it's just like to well, me but also it because that's not the order of the music in the album either they right. did pick it's, like specific yeah. tracks to blend together mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. and that's what I appreciate it's like it's not just purely like a music video that's why I, I think it is more of a short film because um, they use the music to a certain extent to basically marry it with image and not just like, oh, let's do something to promote the music from this album and let's have some cool images in, in front of the music. Like There was like deliberate selections. I do want to bring up something you actually said. You said something interesting I uh, when we first started discussing it, when the video first came out or the short film. Yeah. And that was the idea that um, it was your favorite thing of his since Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> which i thought was actually funny because a it was the most like just forwardly romantic thing he did right. as far as like romantic comedies go of boy meets girl blah blah blah. but also there is a, a certain color palette from time and time that was very similar yes. to it and there is actually a shot when he's running through the catacombs and then like there's a huge sort of projected shadow of his while he's running through the catacombs was which yeah. is very punch drunk love when he's running away from the blonde triplet brothers the first time right and he yeah, like yeah. jumps over the railing and falls flat on his face <laughs> on the sidewalk so yeah. there is well, actually a, a huge yeah. i think thematically it's a very similar thing too like mm-hmm. he becomes a bit of a superhero but not in a in a literal way. Yeah. He becomes a superhero just because love makes you feel extraordinary. You know? Right. And then also the um, I don't know if you guys read the interview with him discussing the with video. Paul Thomas with Anderson he, or with yeah, uh, like he, yeah, with Paul Thomas Anderson, like how he he was referencing uh, Buster Keaton. And well, the, the performance whole thing is, like, from Tom York yeah. is oddly enough very Buster Keatony. Right, but it, it's also this whole thing with Buster Keaton of like being really small. And then the world around you just being larger mm. and being against you. Which makes and, sense for uh, the 
aspect ratio yeah, and everything. Even Adam Sandler too in, in Punch on Glove, that's what it feels like. Like everything is like going against him. Like, you know, I mean he's not a small guy like Buster Keaton was, but like still he he's small enough that people treat him like he's small. But it's you also know? so still yeah. very physical and borderline violent like Buster Keaton. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. What's your question, McCarl? You don't like uh, PTA stuff since Punch Dog Love, or? Okay, no. Well, I'll I'll say this because we, you know, we we can go back to that PTA episode and you can hear what my thoughts were when my first appearance on Wrong Reel. But um, but no, I, I the reason why I think like Anima is his best thing that he's done since Punch Dog Love is because he knows how to end it. Like that's been my problem with all of the films since Punch Dog Love is that he just. <laughs> He doesn't know how to end his movies. All right. Like, well, well, all right. Well, now, shit. This might have to be a separate <laughs> conversation, but now I need to know why or where you would have ended each of his movies since then. Hard um, has a great ending where he pulls his sleeve up over the blood. Like, that, that's a great final shot. Yeah. But what, what, uh, so, what's but, your issue with the. the, the I, okay. What's well, the last shot of Boogie Nights? Him with his big dick in the mirror? Yeah, his big dick in the mirror. What's the final shot of Magnolia? Oh, what is the final shot of Magnolia? It's uh, it it ties in all of the. So no, what's the, her name? Smiles into the camera, the daughter of um, Larry Baker, yeah, yeah. Uh, or uh, Philip Baker Hall Phil smiles Baker into the and, camera. And that's the thing; it's like mysterious. You don't know if it's Philip Baker Hall or it's John C. Riley who sits down to see her and who is she smiling at. And it's only if you watch. I doubt it's it her fucking than... rapist father, dude. <laughs> what? I doubt it's her like fucking rapist father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's John C. Riley. Which movies but, have strong like, endings that I can remember? But I definitely remember the final shot of Daryl Blood. blood. When he's I'm like, yeah, finished. I'm finished. And yeah. it's like, it's like, yeah, fuck. And then, like, and then the like, music kicks in. Comes in, and I was like, "Can we watch that whole movie all over again, yeah. please? Like right now?" <laughs> and then I, know, the I love the man. I love the end of the master yeah. also. Yeah, I also like, like the, the. I mean, Inherent Vice is vaguely the same ending as Magnolia, where he looks in his rearview mirror and then looks into the camera. Because the paranoia comes from both sides. What's coming from behind right. the light in the actual movie, and then the people who are watching him, literally in what the audience. Phantom Thread is it the last one? Like I'm still hungry, or what is what is what is the final shot of uh, Phantom Thread? I want to uh, kiss. Oh no, it's it's him dressing her up or something like that. It's just like kind of. It looks like an. Oh, well, isn't game. there like a because it's a shot that plays during the credits? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, that yeah. that's how it um, ends. But I think like one of the last lines in it is like "Kiss me, darling, before I get sick" or something like that. But I don't know. It's it's not well, just there are that a couple of more ending. shots to the the movie than yeah, that. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it's just like it's not the endings themselves. It's just like how he kind of chooses to lead up to the endings. Like I, I don't know. Like there's just something about it where it just starts to plod towards the end of, of each movie. I don't think it plods. But, I think it like kind of curlicues into a fine point, like a little cone just like swirling uh, down. I, but I, even Boogie Nights or Boogie Night, as we've just officially described Boogie it. Night. <laughs> Boogie Night. Boogie Night does, as some, I think in the second half, have, um, I guess, a more leisurely kind of pacing and structure to it, which a lot of people have called attention to. I don't think it necessarily like disrupts or hurts the movie. But yeah, I, I, it might be fair to say that perhaps is they get a little slacker, but I guess maybe just because the first half of Boogie Nights is so tight, it's like a like, you know, well-oiled machine. Oh. But I, don't, I, I guess I've never yeah. really noticed. I have, I have certain Paul Thomas Anderson movies that I like more than others, but I've never noticed a big problem with, uh, with endings, yeah. I guess. I, I don't know. It's I okay. Just, just, way, just but, know that Carl but, was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, time will tell. But any, 
Oh, Time's been telling just fine, Carlo. Well, I feel like here are 12 years after There Will Be Blood, and a lot of people still call oh, attention okay. to that as their favorite yeah. movie of the 21st century. And I would say The Masters being uh, not as maligned yeah. for being boring as it was when yeah. it first came out, which is nice also. Like, that's the movie I've had to defend the most as my I favorite mean, movie. The more I look back on it, actually, of, of the post uh, Punch Drunk Love movies, I think The Master is my favorite. I mean, I. But with the master, I just really wish that it, he just made a shopping mall movie, like in the 1950s. Like that sequence is just like one of the best things I've oh, ever yeah. seen. I, would, I wish it was just like shot. three hours of Amy Adams sure. jacking up Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> oh, oh. My favorite thing to do is Philip Seymour Hoffman being jacked up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh. No, he probably comes better than anyone else in movie history, like that, and like Todd Solon's happy. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Happy yeah, is I'm so sorry. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we're just like wiping things on the wall. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, so he's um, yeah, he, he likes his the, orgasms are they're intense. They don't seem like they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Do you remember also before the devil knows you're dead when he's fucking poor uh, Mercy oh, Tomei from behind? Yeah, and he's just like yeah. sloppy all over and just so out of breath by the end of the shot. Yeah, some people I think just must and coming must be agony. Like Michael Fassbender's character in Shame is in the shower. You can tell oh, he's just such pain. He's got like, like it's like clogged up like uh like prostate. He's just like screaming in agony every time. I was like just. <laughs> Leave it alone for a couple of days, and it'll, it'll, it'll feel well, better. That's sex addiction, baby. <laughs> it's a pain. Yeah, yeah. It's like what's well, that line in Big Lebowski? It's someone who has sex compulsively without joy. It's like, oh no, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tying it to that climax or ending of of anima, it's like yeah, how moving it is too is just. Uh, I I was really affected by it because I started to think of of Tom York's um, own biography because. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but he had this longtime partner. They had a kid together. Her name was uh, Rachel Owen. And, um, yeah, they had, like, this amicable split when uh, Moonshape Pool came out. Mm. And it was like, you know, they were very happy uh, about breaking up, even though, you know, it was like this long-term partnership. And so many of his songs that are, like, outwardly romantic and on Radiohead, like um, uh, True Love Waits, like, that's about her. And um, I started thinking about her because after they broke up she got cancer and then she died mm. and um for some reason like the ending of anima just like channeled that for me like i really was was getting that sense even just the first time around i was just thinking about that and just like man yeah that's really affecting um so yeah it's a beautiful Quite ending in the and- podcast carla we were having fun talking <laughs> yeah, about orgasm no one knows how to recover <laughs> from that asshole <laughs> So you got you got to bring us out of so that. So thank you. Pit of okay, I, I have something to say. I guess I I really do think that Tom York has been really aging well into his droopy mm. eye. His face has a I think actually kind of become more distinguished looking with age, despite that eye. And B, it's just it is so fucking fascinating to look at his face. I don't know how Paul Thomas Anderson fucking the way he was filming it maybe, but like just his concerns and disconcerns as it evolved through the fucking music video, I just couldn't help but stare at his fucking face. It's also even when he's twirling. So my favorite, actually my favorite shot of the whole thing, even though yes, the canvas stage shit is just top notch. I also feel like it's something like he probably tried to rip from Jonathan Demi and all the lighting he did for his music videos. And even like his talking heads documentary, which was so fucking lit to the gills. Lit to the gills by uh, what's his Which name? Which music Dave videos did Demi do? Hmm? Which videos did Demi do? I, I saw Stop Making Sense, which I love, but I don't think I've seen any of his videos. Um, 
Fuck. I mean, I watched them ages ago. I just remember them vaguely, and I have you had that like big Jonathan Demi festival or whatever when they showed them. Or? Yeah, yeah, I was there, but then that was like right after he died, and Paul Thomas Anderson I was just like introducing I mean, he a lot must of have shit. Done like um, some Talking Heads videos, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he's done a bunch of Talking Heads, and those are the ones I'm thinking specifically, and especially that. But like those, so for instance, when like the guys are on all fours or all the dances are, and they start like kind of mechanically moving their way up towards Tom York, and how the light is coming out severely from behind them. And creates these long shadows crawling up towards him. I feel like that's a very, very eighties music video looking sort of or thing that I've seen like before. Forties or fifties. What was the Fred Astaire flick where he's dancing on the on the walls in the ceiling as the the set rotates? Oh shit! I mean, it's been copied um, in a million uh, music videos since, but I, I can't remember. Anyway, at any rate, or was it yeah. Gene Kelly? Top hat. Wait, I think. Yeah, I think it was. No, Fred no, Astaire. it was definitely Fred Astaire. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, yeah. but it, but it reminded yeah. me a bit of that where you like, yeah, you're turning the set on its on its on its head essentially, and allowing the actors and performers to uh, to cut loose. And I, yeah. I mean, I mean, he also kind of did that with um, what across the universe music video, which to be honest with you, I was because it starts spinning and then she spins upside down as the entire right. background remains the same and everything. But to be honest with you, I couldn't help but think watching that fucking video of like. How pissed off is Gary Ross watching this music video that he basically <laughs> took the conceit of Pleasantville and shot it so much fucking better? Oh, my God. Oh, quick, yeah, quick interruption. Jonathan Demi, yeah. he did the Once in a Lifetime video for Talking Heads. He did Slippery oh, yes, People. Yeah. These are live videos. He also did one for New Order called The Perfect Kiss. Um, he did a Bruce Springsteen one called Streets of Philadelphia. Oh, Street Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah, so right. he's got some, some decent credits yeah. to his name. I mean, and also... we. I mean, we, I, I guess we don't all know, but Paul Thomas Harris is a huge Jonathan Demi head. As yeah. I just mentioned, like, there was a BAM um, retrospective of all his works, and they started playing it before he actually died. And Paul Thomas Harris okay. is like, well, now he's, like, since he died, he was like, well, I ha-. He was going to be there, I think, as a moderator for one of them. Well, with he's Jonathan a big Melvin Demi. and Howard freak. And he, Paul I mean, he loves all, I mean, yeah. he loves Married to the Mob. He loves Something uh, Wild. Something Wild. He, lo- something he loves all of it. Yeah, something like, Wild I think is my favorite. When he, we went to see something, so Hannah and I went to see Something Wild at BAM, and he, but he went through every movie within that one Q&A. And also, Paul Thomas Anderson, not to, like, I'll brag about him a little bit. He's like, don't ask me any questions about my movies. This is all, like, we're just talking fucking, we're just talking Demi tonight. And he, and he fucking stuck to it because he's also a nerd in that same way that Quentin Tarantino is. Like, I don't really right. want to talk about my movie. I want to talk to you about the movies that maybe led me to yeah. this movie that I fucking made. That, but, that, that's uh, just like a, a segue from that, too. That's what I like about the DGA podcast, even though they're a little, like, kind of, there's nepotism and they're not long enough. But I do like that, you know, it's a director interviewing another director and they it's all about that one director's work and not the director doing the interview. You yeah, know, and they like do that the, stuff live. I saw William Friedkin interview yeah. Kenji Fukasaku about his oh, wow. gra- Battles of Honor Humanity movies That's from the early seventies. And it was yeah. fucking insane. And then he's a translator, but I was you know, it's like summer nineteen ninety eight <laughs> and I was just getting into the movie or summer nineteen ninety seven. I knew Friedkin well and I just seen Battles of Honor Humanity, the, like the Kenji Fukasaku film, and yeah, but it's but it's a cool it's a cool premise. I think just yeah. the worst thing you can do is hand the microphone out to the crowd and let them. Ask oh questions. fuck yeah! Yes. I mean that's but that's yeah. like the bigger thing too is like no one will ask a director a better question than another director because most people are like because most people in Q and A's are like 
This is what I took away from the movie. Do you care to <laughs> negate or uh, agree to that? Yeah. What? That's not a fucking Although, question. I will say this. I yeah. saw Dave Chappelle on Broadway a few weeks ago, and at the end of his show, he's like, all right, now we're going to do something weird. We're going to pass up some microphones, and I'm going to take any question from the audience y'all want to ask. I mean, he did it for an hour, and he brought Jon Stewart out as well. And I've never seen somebody deflect and pivot from dumb questions better and spin it into comic oh, brilliance. Well, that's Dave Chappelle, Dave, Dave Chappelle, because people would ask these self-serving, self-important, self-righteous questions, and then Dave Chappelle would find a way to make it sublime. And I was like, this is just awesome. It's one thing to have your act and have it be great, because he just killed for an hour, but then to kill for yet another hour, just making shit well, up. He's all right. This is a whole nother podcast that I would actually <laughs> like to do with you. But Chappelle is a fucking master. I mean, like he did. Did a whole bit about how much of a master he is in one of his last Netflix specials. Like, listen, yeah. so what I do now is I write down a punchline and put it in a fucking fishbowl and then I pick it out later and see if I could write towards it. And he yeah. he fucking told everyone what a punchline would be and then built yeah. a story for 20 minutes. The, yeah. And it works. It yeah. fucking so kills. Yeah. And but He's that's him. No. I mean, but that's why he also has like 50 fucking specials yeah. at this point yeah. because he could come up with new material. <laughs> he he reigns supreme atop that mountain. But yeah, we will but, save that for another day. So, I mean, but back to Anima. Are there anima? This, anima, anima, the joker anima. Said in Batman, this town needs an anima. Uh, let's flush it out of our systems uh, and get through had this. An anima? I'm, I'm, oh, I've had a, several. As a little kid, I was watching yeah. that and I turned to my stepdad. I was like, Billy, what's an anima? He's like, Slim. Imagine a hand grenade going off in your bowels. I was like, all right. <laughs> no, but like that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is pumping the water up your asshole first so that a bomb eventually goes off. stars i do want to talk a little bit about pta's entire body work when it comes to music videos so i'm just going to go through all of them from the late 90s to now and the ones that y'all like chime in the one you're, you're indifferent okay. to then feel free to ignore but i let's start be so colloquial yeah let's start <laughs> with my i think my least favorite of the bunch from michael penn try 1997 it was um, a i had to turn yeah. this one off 1997 you didn't finish it I, I, like, I, I lasted like a, there are three or four of these where I get oh, like a minute okay. and a half in. Well, like, also the quality of these videos at this point, they're not really keeping right. them up, I find. Well, for them, but for me, it's just the melody of the songs. They're like songs grab you oh, or they don't. Well, and, that song yeah, is no. very, very late 90s sort of yeah. quote unquote alternative scene bullshit. It's super fucking lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that being said, the yeah, video is song. well but, conceived. Uh, yeah, the video is great. And I, mean, <laughs> I like Jamie's. The sad thing about, like, I guess, music videos that are like shot on film, and then the only surviving like um, archive of them is like the, the, 
yeah, the digi beta copy or something. Like, so it's not like the best quality. They, I, I wonder what they do with the prints. If like PTA actually keeps the original prints of his, I'm his sure music the prints are too. existing somewhere. I just don't think anyone yeah. cares enough to fucking like digitize them in the proper manner and put them up. Unless because, like Shout Factory wants to do like a compilation well, also, like Blu-ray of all the music well, videos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the only like, way that it, Michael Penn will be relevant again is if there's a collected music video works of like put out by Criterion, the Paul Thomas. Saint- do y'all know who Michael Penn oh. is? This is the first. Yeah, I do. No, because he's worked with no, him. Yeah. He's worked with him. Yeah, he did the score for uh, for the first two movies, uh, yeah. Heart Eight and Boogie Nights. And then um, he also um, is in Boogie Nights. He's the the record producer who's like, um, oh. who, he's not uh, Robert Downey Sr. who says like Shit. that's a white key, not an NP. You rocking out to Fiona <laughs> Apple? <laughs> I, I was looking at the playlist that he put together. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so Michael Penn's video try. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't care for the music, but, but because great moving it camera. Was that- yeah, if you like that fast moving camera that PTA well, I mean, did in yeah, the late 90s, that's his thing. Yeah. Well, I was I was going to say like my note while I was watching it was like this is his ultimate camera move of like quick push in, quick pull out, yeah. quick push in, quick pull it's out. It's the Boogie oh. Nights PTA. Whiplash um, yeah. pan. Yeah. yeah. But not only that, it was like um yeah, it was that special feature on on that yeah, this yeah, Boogie uh, Nights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, he um he has a commentary attached to it, so it's great to watch it with the commentary. Um, and he was is it one about, shot? Like, yeah, it's all one shot. And that he was like um, that they had trouble like looking for like the longest corridor in LA, basically. To, well, it looks to be, like the hospital that they shot Scrubs in. Uh, I don't know. Uh, right. I, uh, he doesn't mention that in the commentary. Scrubs but yeah. is not allowed to be mentioned on Wrong Reel because of my intense loathing for Zach Breath. Well, Unless who, you wanted to talk for an hour or so about how much I want to murder Zach Breath. Uh, I think Zach I finally decided I dislike him more than Shia LaBeouf. But yeah, the the Michael Penn video, it really is the, the single shot that impresses me and just like all well, the also, choreography like from the very get-go because that, that is his first music video, right? So like he was already like trying to do like choreographed action and like to try and do it all in one shot and have all these things going on with like who knows how many extras he got for for this one and then you know for it to finally end like at the end of the corridor it was like very satisfying so it was also nice to have to see i I like to see um philip seymour hoffman and kind of thinking of when it came out that they were just oh, buddies, yeah. and he was just like, "Hey, right. dude, do you actually like? Do you want to do this? We're shooting this thing. Do you want to like come in?" Because at the end of the Pleasantville uh, video, John C. Riley pops in also right. with yeah, a brief cameo. So this is when they were clearly all still young and frivolous and had time to like fucking what hang you, and do what, each other's what year projects. PTA was born. Oh, I think it was, he like, was like, early seventies. Yeah, 70, he's like fairly young. I, uh, he's definitely yeah, ten so, years younger so he's than like Quentin Tarantino. M- mid late twenties at this point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. He, uh, oh, oh, oh at this point he's like yeah twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. He's from the, in that range yeah, because, right now. Um, also, that's another interesting thing with the 24, IMAX. Twenty four, I think, for Boogie oh, Nights. Yeah. On the IMAX screening of um, Anima, it was his birthday. That that Wednesday, June twenty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was his birthday. PTA was so born was in seventy, so yeah, he would have been twenty seven when he made this video. Um, yeah. And so I, I I I like that video. Also, I think I I was just then thinking about Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was like, he had a very specific performance in that too, of like mouth agape, mouth open, slack jawed, like a fucking crew yeah. member, but Backwards eyes laser focused. So you yeah. think he's kind of a dummy, but there's so much focus to what he's doing too. Right. I don't know. It was just nice too. Like you could tell that he was just like, hey bud, you want to come and do this with me? 
and then my heart just started melting. Anyway, we should probably right. move on. I think. Yeah, that, I was about to say because like, I think for, <laughs> I would like to talk. Uh, about, I was not expecting so so much insight into uh, a rather forgettable song. <laughs> I would like to talk about Amy Amy Mann's video that he shot for Magnolia. A, oh, yeah. how go. great of a fucking friend are you? Because he was just fucking friends with Amy Mann. He listened to her song. He listened to her music quite a bit while writing the screenplay. Yeah, and so then he fucking yeah. injected yeah, into the screenplay. He decided yeah. to, I would like to say that this music video in this movie was kind of the tipping point because uh, in music videos shifting into movie uh, language. You struck me Because a we had a bunch of directors who were coming out of the fucking music video David realm, Fincher and, yeah. Spike Jones, yeah. all of them. Uh, Mark Romanek, who actually uh, yes. was kind of surprised that you didn't put in that Fiona Apple video because that's one of my favorite video, uh, um, videos of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, Criminal is amazing. Criminal. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like surprised that you didn't do it because he's part of that gang. Yeah, but I wanted to focus purely on PTA and Fiona. All right, but then you throw, we'll, yeah, we'll right, then you throw in some yeah. other people, whatever. That's fucking weird. And so I like this but, Amy uh, Mann video because, A, what a great friend you are that you got all your your actors to be like, hey, can you stick around for another fucking like 20, 30 minutes? I have to get this shot for this video that so we're kind of promoting. Just, when they were shooting those scenes, just bring Amy Mann at the end? To, it has to be the case yeah. because there's no way Absolutely. that Tom Cruise is in the music video too. And he was like, yeah, I'll come in for a separate day for one shot right. while some bitch sings next the, to me. Yeah, or no. Willie Mitch Macy and Philip Seymour Hoffman it's everybody but also the music video gets more and more elaborate because it's just those like sort of inherent vice slow push-ins at first that he's known for now I think just slow camera movements as opposed to like Martin Scorsese cocaine zip-ins and zip-outs it was more of a slow thing but then later in the video you could tell it's slow movements but also the set breaks apart moves in rolls in rolls out you know it just becomes a little bit more and more abstract and then but at the same time we have to remember that magnolia is probably i don't know the first movie in that sort of realm of those directors in america in the late 90s that was like hey i'm a music video director i'm just gonna put a music video towards the end of my movie and then he has everyone sing to that other amy uh, man track at the end Right. And, but he says, like, I just wanted to put a music video at the end of my movie. And then I was listening to Amy's music and I was like, fuck it, I'll just do that. And so that is a nice little tipping point where cinema did have to start taking in all these ingredients from music videos. And I just think it's like a really nice touch point well, or touchstone. It's rather. not my favorite video, but I think it's my favorite song of all the songs. And it's an entire list of all the music videos. I think the yeah. Save Me one is the one I've listened to the most. For some reason, summer 2000 when I was working on Hannibal, I had the Magnolia soundtrack and I just went through like a Save Me phase where I listened to it. To remind you what a better movie felt like? Oh, uh, that's one of the reasons. I just was listening. I just got really hooked by this one particular song. So it has a lot of sentimental affection for me. So I love the tune. But I think my favorite video is much later. Yeah, let's talk about it. But um, Carlo, any, any thoughts about his early 
Fiona Apple phase where he does oh, fast yes. as you can oh, and across yeah. the universe back to back in yeah. 1998. And uh-huh. obviously, across the universe is a Beatles tune where she's she's redoing uh-huh. it, and then it's done in black and white. But fast as you can, fast as you can is one of the ones that I had to turn off. But I did I did watch oh, <laughs> across man. the universe in Dude. its entirety. <laughs> okay, all right. So um, yeah, I mean, across the universe, incredible Beatles cover. Like it's it's one of my favorites, along with like um, Elliot Smith's cover of Blackbird. So um, I mean, I think just, it's better than the original. I prefer the Fiona yeah, yeah, take on exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. Like, okay. You're in a Beatles friendly home. <laughs> to, stones to all the way, point, like, yeah. I like stones. I love stones. <laughs> the video is better than the movie that it's supposed to like be promoting. Well, I oh, think that's the, my favorite thing about it. The Julie Taymor movie? Was no, she, no, no, no. Oh, because no, Across the Universe is from Pleasantville, directed by Gary yeah, Ross. And so that was my whole thing of like. How wasn't there a Beatles movie called Across the Universe as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, came much but later. But that came out like a decade okay. later. Gotcha. But like uh, Pleasantville is, this music, this song is for Pleasantville. Gotcha. And I love the idea while I was watching the video. I was like, oh, Gary Ross I mean, must yeah, be Across like, the Universe just like, is 2007. this guy. Yeah, Across the Universe 2007. But I never saw Pleasantville, so uh, I was totally oblivious to the connection. And yeah, I, I really want to get into the the whole Fiona Apple uh, like phase of, of um, PTA's career or like, Fiona Apple's PTA phase, like depending. Well, they on were dating it's also. To... It's worth yeah, mentioning. That's the thing. Uh, like, yeah, it's naughty, like naughty. This... Oh yeah, so if you actually yeah. look at the special features of Magnolia, there is footage of them just kind of like fucking around as a couple, which is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, where like she keeps playing he's... like a version of him in a long coat jacket or something. Right, and then there's a scene where he's like um, treating her as if she's like the physical manifestation Ooh. of the movie, and he's like, "You're too long." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He starts yelling at her as if she's Magnolia embodied. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's weird really special fast. feature. Yeah, they did, I think, five videos total together. So yeah, yeah. Yes. But uh, so my my bigger theory is though, since they were dating, that it's kind of funny that these Heim girls kind of have that same spirit in the way she dr- they dress. They dress similar ways. They're wafy Californian girls, super skinny, have similar kinds of music. I don't know if he's going through a thing right now <laughs> by directing all their well, fucking videos. I, you, you know his connection to the Haim girls are. are what like is Haim? I thought it was like a, it's two I, syllables, like Haim, like, but yeah. it, it's definitely I, two syllables, at least in interviews. That's what they said. But his, his connection to them is basically their mom was like his art teacher. Oh. So that they, yes, they go way back. I was because so like they're not so, like I I like them yeah. decently, but I don't think they're worth such a great fucking director making their videos. I, yeah, I mean, we'll, he's we'll done like, that, but, but he's made like yeah, like <laughs> a shit ton of them and like long ones. Too. And they also played at the new Bev as well. Yeah. Well, I, they I, also I had that their latest video. They like are uh, the the lead singer is a ticket seller, uh, uh, ticket uh, girl yeah, at yeah, the Bev. Exactly. Yeah. Summer girl or something like that. But yeah, with Fiona Apple, it was like them kind of converging, and they were both like I feel well. This is up for debate, like at their artistic peak. Like I do feel oh. like in 1999, like <laughs> PTA made Magnolia, and then uh, Fiona Apple came out with um, when the pawn hits the complex. It has like a very long uh, title, and um, yeah, she did. The, he did these three videos for this um, this album, which was uh, Fast as You Can, Limp, and um, uh, Paper, Paper Bag. Bag. Yeah, and they're all just like very unique. And um, their own kind of style and very L.A. too. That's the thing I, that I love about them. I mean, that's the other thing with most of his music videos. Like they, they really try to like tap into like what L.A. looks like now. And especially considering 
since you know his output since Punch-Up Love has been all period films. I like yeah. that his music videos are like. I was actually going to say that's that's the nicest thing about his music videos is that like uh, in, in case you're stuff. curious as to what Paul Thomas Anderson does look like when he's trying to direct something contemporarily, yeah, just look I, to his music videos. Right, I, like, I, I just love the variety. Like, if you look at like, the video for Paper Bag, which is almost like an old school Hollywood musical where she's wearing that bright red evening dress, etc. And then you compare it to some of his later Radiohead ones where there's like sitting around a campfire like outside just chilling. Yeah. It's wildly different. Like one's obviously high production value. The other is well, super I like, actually wanted analog. to talk about those Radiohead ones. The Radiohead ones, because I actually think it starts with Junan. Because Junan, my biggest fucking film theory, whatever bullshit about Junan is that he... Uh, and, and if people want to look up the earlier podcast where I decided to stop talking to, to Parker, Parker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's this you, episode. You, you didn't sign a non-disparagement clause, so you can talk as much trash about that. Yeah, you don't have to cut this out. I think Jonathan was the last episode where I think I came up to you afterwards when Parker You're left. Like you. I was Parker. like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore with him. Oh, it was God. either that or the the youth Paula Sorrentino flick. He it's also one of, came it's one of the other. It was the, but those two were the. But it was a back to back. It was a one two combo. But for me, it was. Shit, now it's been derailed. Oh, no, but Junan, my big argument for Junan, which his wasn't, because he's a Neanderthal, uh, Philistine, whatever, was that Junan was created in a way that you watch people make an album. He is, you are watching him make a movie about an album. So you watch him pick up the tripod and move it over. You watch that glitch in the fucking pan, 360 pan that just doesn't quite work out. You watch him walk across the screen even though he's a director. He's trying to show you the calculations and the construction of that thing. So I think when he's making those Radiohead things, he's just, he has that spirit in him where he's like, what are you doing this weekend? I just want to keep shooting. I think more so than any other point of his career. Like, yes, he made videos before this, but not so frequently. Anima came out, and then the Haim, the Haim video came out three, four weeks later. You know, he yeah. is just where He helped out with the Adam Sandler special that right. came out on Netflix. You know, he just that, wants to work. To the point where it's right. inspired me to be like, I'm now I'm shooting things like and be I'm, less precious about individual producers. I am, yeah, no, I am. I'm like, so I'm cutting a music video right now. I'm just going to release it. My short film that I put through the festival circuit, I'm just going to release it. As soon as I'm done with my second short film, I'm not even going to put it the, through the festival circuit. I'm putting it out there. I'm even doing yeah. a 15 minute comedy special with my friend out in public. And I'm actually trying to make it look Junan of like, it's supposed to be DIY. We're putting out collapsible chairs. I just want to work. I just want to move fast. And then as soon as I make something that I finally look at, I'm like, that's polished. Then I'll fucking try and make money off of it. But at the same time, I'm just hungry to move around with a camera. And I think he had, mm. I think legitimately after Inherent Vice, he has not stopped working. So the master came out, right. and then a year later, Inherent Vice came out. And since then, I don't think he stopped working. I think he will do anything he can do because there's that jo Joanne mm. Newsom video also where it's just him right. walking yeah. with a shoulder rig through New York City. Oh, I like her, that video. And you yeah. could tell people yeah. are... It's all this neighborhood. It's like Washington yeah, Square yeah, Park it's around where Center. That's yeah. actually why yeah. I remember it so specifically. It was coming. It right. came out when you and I were becoming tighter and doing the podcast. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Jamie's neighborhood. Yeah. And it was... But it was <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson himself so operating a camera. So shoot in New York. But no one knew... But yeah. and he's, the funny thing is that he was walking around NYU... And no one was clocking that Paul Thomas Anderson. All these people that, that are coming over him right now, yeah. he was right there in front of you, and you didn't fucking, you know. Right, so he has exactly. just. I think there's a bug that has bit him of recently 
that I just mm-hmm. fucking love. I love that he's just producing. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter if there's scratches on the disc. Is he following the Jonathan Demi model? Because Jonathan Demi had so. like 80 projects where it's like documentaries, music videos, feature films. He And he stayed very busy up until his dying day. I mean, not to knock Quentin Tarantino, but I think that I like this idea more of like... Because it, you could tell it's like a personal thing. And when you could tell it's a personal thing and that I just want to shoot, I want to stay busy, it's coming through. It's not him just doing it for work to make money, obviously. It's just a dude who clearly has the energy of a rambunctious youth somehow. Mm-hmm. Somehow, even though he had all his spit and fire in Boogie Nights and Magnolia, telling critics to fuck off, telling William H. Macy, no, that's how long the fucking script's supposed to be, bro. It's a real thing. <laughs> Apparently, William H. Macy was being Doing interviewed. Doing an interview while eating a pizza. He was being too. interviewed. What? William H. Macy was being interviewed. And it was like, what did you think of the script? Paul Thomas Anderson so happened to be walking by and say, it's as long as it fucking needs to be, you cocksucker. But he was like 27 <laughs> at the time or some shit. Or 29. Yeah. Or 29. Yeah. And like, yeah. I think it's really odd and really nice that he is working quicker as an old man and most of it is i think still thoughtful i think there's some like sure he i i get the sense that he caught what he caught and now he's gonna edit though thoughtfully so there's that one music video also with haim where it's um whatever live at the greek i can't remember the name of the song Uh, night so long or some shit yeah, that's a pretty cool tune. Um, it's a cool tune, yeah. but also it's a very simple. I think video, that was my favorite of the Haim songs. And it might seem like a kind of boring video, but I think there's a structure to it of start on the tight. She's the only one singing. When the other sisters sing, he pans over slowly. Then he cuts back to a three shot of them. Then he cuts to a wide angle real low looking out into the empty seats to cut into the audience being there it's all still very thoughtful very meticulously right. but was it weird that two of the videos have the yeah. exact same opening where like it's a right now and valentine where they both have the opening where she's like oh i was waiting for you to see action and she has like that weird little voice yeah. she's speaking well in. actually well because one of them is is like a longer short i guess gotcha yeah. it, the uh, valentine right one i think is like 15 minutes long or something yeah 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 it just incorporates those super performances because i was like wow i'm seeing the same thing over again like I, when i watched those i was like I, i've seen this before but oh he's just like stitched all of those performances together because i think that was all just one film where do you stand on high just as a band do you do you dig their stuff or you just like uh, the videos or no I, I find their music fairly unremarkable like <laughs> i just can take it or leave it like i mean they're they're very photogenic like i mean he shoots them really nicely in the videos and they do have talent like their voices are really pleasant to listen to but it just like doesn't affect me in any way like i'm i just most of the lyrics are generic too i find they're like song right and if you were to compare like um like people who kind of sound like them like maybe sinead o'connor or like annie lennox like yeah they're just more affecting to me than i would argue to say also like you could be like you could tell who inspired him more visually a tom york track or their tracks. And like I like their videos, and I like the simplicity yeah. of their videos, but there's something also deeply frivolous about them in the way yeah. that the Radiohead <laughs> tracks is clearly pulling something a little bit deeper right. out of him, especially the music videos that you both said that you really enjoyed. Like the first one he truly did for Radiohead. I what what, what is it Daydreaming? for? Daydreaming. Yeah, where he just keeps walking that one through has doors. 51, 51 million views yeah. on YouTube. And he yeah. keeps walking through doors and shit like that. Clearly, he put so much more fucking thought into that. But I would argue also to say that that was his first music video in a while. 
It was so his, he did, well. He did divers with Joanna Newsom and yeah, he, he did. He did his like very quick the, DIY the big, ones with the her. The big break was between uh, Here We Go in 2002 and Hot Knife in 2013. So he's 11 yeah. years there where he doesn't do any music videos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and, I, and, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I just so, think I, I I do like the idea. Again, with Haim, mostly for me, I like the idea that this dude's like, I don't even really fucking care who's asking me for a favor. I will go do this. I'm going to go shoot while I'm working on my script. Because that's how I'm feeling right now. It's like, I'm going to go do a bunch of small projects, but at the same time, I'm scribbling up my feature-length script. But with Radiohead, I, I agree that there's something in the songs that pulls something out of them because most the best Radiohead music in the first couple of seconds, you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, it just, yeah. it, you just get sucked in. Well, there's an anxiety to it that I think is also equal to his movies, the anxieties that you feel in his movies of the idea of abandonment. Will I find anyone in my life? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what Tom York's going through to a certain extent. Will right. I find so, anyone? Like, there's that one refrain that I always think about. I'm going to kill Anima, my girlfriend like, if I break up with her. She's going to die of cancer. Well, yeah, there's that <laughs> huge, I'm sure that huge guilt looming over him. But also, like, yeah. uh, in the opening number in Anima, it's like, who are these people? You know, there's right, that yeah, part of it. That, like, but yeah. I, but. But that's Paul Thomas Anderson. Who are these people? Will they be my family? These are strangers. Is that a podcast first where Mikhail sings on Wrong Real? Or? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I think you actually know you sang the Bill Murray Star Wars oh, song right. from yeah. one time. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I did that once too. So I think there's, yeah, I think he's, he reads so much, something more personal into those Radiohead tracks, those Tom York tracks. Who yeah. are these people? How can I connect to them? Because right. all his movies are about how can I connect to these disparate strangers in yeah. my life whereas with Haim is like oh you're available i'm available i'm more important than you are i'm gonna shoot this however i want to and they're like yeah <laughs> this is all theory yeah. obviously well but... no but yeah you, you sense that you get a sense of that with uh with fiona apple too and it's it's interesting you bring up that huge gap and then when he comes back to doing music videos he he goes back to fiona apple so it kind of shows that oh he's not above like collaborating with her again and making a video for her because I mean, seriously, since those videos that they did together, Fiona Apple herself hasn't really done anything like uh, remarkable. I don't know about that. Wise. I don't know about that. Oh, uh, music video-wise, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Because um, that I was think her music's was, still pretty top-notch. Yeah, because yeah, I I went to a uh, uh, through like a, a Fiona Apple rabbit hole preparing for this this episode, and I, I watched like the Iconoclast episode where um, she's with Quentin Tarantino. And it's like the first time that they hang out together where she says like PTA isn't there. Yeah. She was like, yeah, every time you guys hang out, it was just you two talking and I just listened. And then, you know, but it was interesting. That would how, be a um, pleasure and a privilege to hear PTA and QT <laughs> rant and raving about flicks because uh, they, they, they know whereof they speak. Yeah. But the, Although the if you're hanging out with a beautiful musician, you should talk about her. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then also, um, the whole everyone thing was, should talk about whatever they want. <laughs> there, she was discussing with Tarantino how they needed to take that gap. So like Tarantino took that gap between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill, and like uh, Fiona Apple took that gap between. Um, uh, Tarantino was watching William Whitney movies. He went through this period where he decided to basically watch a couple thousand B movies from the fifties and sixties because he was convinced that the canon of great directors was incomplete and that people like alter theory was not complete that there were some people tucked away that had been neglected and ignored and he did find these guys like William Whitney where he would watch 
like a hundred B movies of a million different genres to find like the four gems. And only yeah. Tarantino likes watching B movies enough to do all that research. But yeah, he was also working on his Inglorious Bastards screenplay and he kind of went down a rabbit right. hole and got stuck. But he did have yeah. that five year interim between Jackie Brown yeah. and, and Kill Bill. Well, I mean, what the fuck are you Paul doing? Paul Thomas Anderson also before yeah. um, Punch Drunk Love and There, there Will Be Blood, Blood was yeah. a fairly yeah, like long a like yeah. four or five year break. Like, yeah. Smoking weed this is the longer interesting than he thing does that, now. Um, yeah that Fiona Apple brings up is like, you know, taking that time to kind of just, uh, cause you can tell like all three of them when they took that gap, like they changed as they re- totally reimagined themselves. Yeah. 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 Like with Fiona Apple with the extraordinary machine, there was that, that uh, version of it that leaked and it sounded a lot like more, more like when the pawn hits compared to what the, the official. Yeah, and then the release was much different, which is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, she was saying that, you know, John Breon, who's also, um, uh, Brian is uh, also PTA's well, collaborator. Punch Drunk Love like, score. Yeah, yeah. He, it was his like, it was his music, and she said that that yeah. album sounded more like him than her, and she needed to come into her own. So, like with that album, and then later on with um with the album that features Hot Knife, like you see that that her music is completely different now compared to their collaboration, which is like almost what twenty years later, um, and. But at the same time, the video for it too of Hot Knife is not as like memorable, I think, as the the early videos that they. Well, yeah. It's they very self conscious where you have her banging on this drum and you've got the split screen of all the voices, and it's one of it feels a little bit. I don't know, maybe self indulgent, pretentious. I don't know, but it, the song doesn't reach out to me. It's one of those very self conscious, deliberate kind of departures that make. When I was watching it, I started kind of getting red in the face, like this is kind of this is kind of silly. Yeah. But if you're a huge fan of hers, then maybe you respond to it differently. But the, the I, I was kind of embarrassed on her behalf when I was watching that video. I mean, that's a perfect way of putting it, though. There's some artists who are just like, I'm gonna super go against the grain, even though I don't necessarily believe in it because I feel like I need to transform at this point. And it is a fine line, though, because I, I was watching this fucking video about Terrence Malick recently of like, yeah, it probably is healthy for you to transform every so often, but sometimes it will be to negative effect. And so I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm worried. But I, I'm not worried necessarily, but I know that surely after Phantom Thread, he has to pivot again. Soon, yeah. Right. Because yeah, now it's become just a thing of like, now you're just doing nostalgia decade work where you're just jumping, hopping around decades and shit like that, which that's why I think The Master is his most meta movie and his most important movie because all his movies are about people who've lived past lives that have mm-hmm. fucking anchored them deeply and truly. But also in The Master, very literally, one of the characters thinks that people have lived through other generations and decades and centuries, whereas he is now as a filmmaker just living through other people's decades. I I would really love to see him back in the contemporary world outside yeah, of his music too. videos. Yeah, These music videos exactly. have made me excited yeah. to be like... Tarantino hasn't made a contemporary movie since 03. Yeah, but he, I don't or know. There's four, something yeah, about Kill him Bill that he was, yeah. But he was always inherently borrowing something from somewhere in a very obvious way. And he meant it to be obvious. To the point where like I'm okay with him doing that constantly. Also, I don't my my heart is just not in that game as much or as deeply. And so with Paul Thomas Anderson, he has proven that he can do it. Punch Drunk Love was modern. Magnolia was a modern movie, contemporary movie. Hard A was a contemporary movie. He clearly has shown in his music videos that he could do that. But is if is for him the contemporary world so abstract that he can only deal with it in abstractions and music videos, or will he be able to try to put his thumb on it? 
I don't know if he can or cannot because he needs to find a great book that grabs him and then and then go to it. Or he finds like a young person who he just attaches himself to somehow and like you're my muse. I could write about this because it's or also make a, tough. Movie, make a movie about his kids. It's inevitable. Once you have a family, inevitably authors, filmmakers, they make a movie about their kids. Surely. I don't know, because right now, to be honest with you, as a 31-year-old, if you asked me to make a movie about a 20-year-old right now, I'm like, fuck you, man. I have no clue what the fuck that <laughs> world's like. Technology, it moves us so quickly through generations at this point. How does a man at his age know how to make a movie about it? And to be fair, no one at age, age 20 can do that. I mean, like, you occasionally get a book like, was it like This Side of Paradise, like Fitzgerald's like, first book, where it's like, oh, you really captured like the voice of a generation. But usually people who are 20, 21, they're not good enough at their craft yet to write a book or make a movie about well, even he, their I mean, era. Which is strange with him, because he was what? Okay, again, he was in his mid-20s to late-20s making Magnolia and Boogie nights and the man for his biggest first hit made a movie that was a period piece already at his young age which is fucking nuts but then magnolia was a contemporary piece and he fucking then straddled the line of all these ages but right Carlo, give me your thoughts on his really strong period. I, I think it's actually his strongest period. 2016, where we have daydreaming, present tense, and the numbers, boom, back to back. I think when it comes to his whole music video output, you can make a strong case for this being like kind of the spike. And obviously this falls between Inherent Vice and uh, Phantom Thread. But any, any strong impressions about these three Radiohead music videos? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, of course, Daydreaming is, like, the the best of the, the three. Um, but, you know, it's just it, it just goes to show, like, to contrast, I mean, I hate to, like, dump on, on Haim again, but, like, the live performances that he records with Radiohead with just that simple outdoor thing is far more compelling with almost no camera moves than that whole studio session with high. I mean, the numbers know. is like the definition of simplicity, but you yeah. can't take your eyes off. You're like, like this video is no. nothing. It's just like, I don't even know if there's yeah. a cut. Someone's <laughs> but, backyard. But yeah. it's fucking oh, so awesome. You yeah, can yeah, see yeah. the tracks of the, on the dolly. Like, it's fucking nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, you saw that. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, it, but, it's a, but it's a marvelous, very simple, effective little music I video. I know, but I would, I would argue say that, yeah, sure. The I, mean, I did think that Night So Long Live at the Greek, it did, mm-hmm. it held me. But yeah. because of them... Because, but I don't know. Yes, I think she probably she at the very least. I don't think there are lyrics or music's that interesting. But she has an interesting face and it's photogenic. And yeah, he knows how to shoot exactly. it. But it's still. I, I I do still think that he will give something his voice and his fucking. F- 
uh, framework and everything that will right. elevate something further than it maybe needs to go necessarily. Yeah, to, your, I mean, that's to you know, question. to like Jamie's earlier point that he didn't like that fucking Michael Penn video- music. Neither did neither did either of us. But like <laughs> that music video is fucking dope, and Philip yeah, Seymour Hoffman's still alive in it, so why not? Yeah, and I mean that is the question that that that's brought up when it comes to the art of music videos because you know how like there's all these directors you've mentioned a, a couple of them, Mikhail like Mark Romanek, um, Jonathan Glazer and, um, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I made this like playlist for us to like just has as a reference, and if Jamie, if you could link it to the the show notes so people can watch it. Like, uh, I really do appreciate the art of the music video and just, like, how directors, yeah. yeah, interact with the music that they're working with. It's like, do you impose your own vision on it or do you, like, work with the music and still kind of find a way to sneak in your, like... It depends what the artist wants. Like, you look at John Landis right. and Michael Jackson with Thriller, which is probably the most successful, at least commercially successful music video of all time in terms of selling Laserdisc and VHS yeah. and airtime, etc., but Michael Jackson wanted, he saw American Werewolf in London and wanted to transform into a monster. And he's like, yeah, we need Rick Baker and I want you to do it. So let's do it. And instead of just doing a music video of the song, they made like a short film around it. So that was a clear example where John Landis brought a little bit to the table. Michael Jackson brought a little bit to the table and it was a perfect harmony. But it sometimes, yeah, I guess it just depends on what the client, who's, whoever's cutting the check for the videos, whatever they want. Well, it's rough. I, so I, the music <laughs> yeah. video I just shot, my buddy, like, requ- so I was going away for uh, a writer's retreat for a weekend at my uh father-in-law's house and everything and it's a super photogenic house you could shoot anything in that fucking house and it'll look great and haunted and um my buddy asked me to shoot a music video he sent me the song and i listened to it a couple of times and i'm like okay i think i i have an idea of what i want to do with it and i was like hey but what do you want is your song what's your song about and he's like oh man you know i really can't tell you I was like, oh, fuck, that really doesn't help me. And then I gave him my <laughs> idea of, like, I really want to do this thing with a really bright red phone. And he was like, oh, that seems too literal to me. And I was like, you're not really giving me yeah. anything to fucking work with. <laughs> Either contribute or shut the fuck up. You, yeah, he's like, one or the <laughs> other. And he's like, I guess I'll shut up. And I'm like, no, well, now you're in my fucking head, and I can't do the thing that I was kind of excited to fucking do. Right. So it is and, It is still a fine balance, I'm sure, of just, right. like, finding a person. You either find a person who says, hey, I have no opinion on anything. You're a fucking cool dude who knows how to do your thing. You do it. Or you say, I actually do have images that I had in my head while writing this song, and I'm wondering if we could kind of incorporate them. How do you, you're, you're the person. How do you do that? And then, boom. I think it should be one or the other. I don't think there's a middle ground, really, of, like, I don't really know. Well, I don't really yeah, fucking I mean, I know either. I think one of the best examples is when, like, Spike Jones and the Beastie Boys did Sabotage. And very clearly, Spike oh. Jones had a really yeah. clear idea of, like, an homage to 70s cop shows. Yeah. And the Beastie Boys were probably like, that sounds fucking cool. Like, let, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But you can tell it's a Spike <laughs> yeah. Jones production all the way through. Well, I mean, Spike Jones, because that's a reference point in, a, in a Da Funk and from Daft Punk. And, yes. Uh, oh, and that's actually, that's funny. I... I remember I was looking through your list. And I was like, what are some of these fucking music videos? And then I was like, sorry, I, I watched like 20 seconds of each of them. I'm like, oh shit, I've watched all of these. And yeah. that was one of them because I remember it was uh, MTV had a top 100 right. videos of the 90s or whatever the fucking case was. when they still music videos. Yeah, yeah. When they were still showing music videos and they would contribute more than an hour to it or some shit. And that music video, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? the fuck is this what the fuck is this a short film or is this a music video what the fuck do you want to be because it's all dialogue the music (laughs) is actually 
not really the focal point of the fucking thing but yeah. also it's also what i loved about that music very specifically is that it because it's a very repetitive song it has the same yeah. fucking beat refrain the entire way through so what do you do with it you don't actually make a music video to it because the music video is usually dictated by the fucking rhythm that you have the rhythm is kind of boring it's one two one two one two just make your short film just have this right. fucking boom box but also this is what spike jones always does what's that extra one single cartoonish element that I could fucking throw in there to really throw people <laughs> off and also somehow like the Buddy Holly music video for uh, for Weezer when yeah. it's like I'm gonna make a Happy Days yeah, episode yeah it's a Happy Days episode yeah. but yeah. also there's always something bittersweet about his music videos because it's kind of off from mm-hmm. the real world like the fact that this dog runs into someone in a cast and, yeah, he's runs, also wearing a cast wearing a cast with his boombox runs into this girl who doesn't recognize him even though she should recognize him because he's surely the only human dog walking around <laughs> it's just he, right. I mean Spike Jones is actually probably the best music video director of all time he Cartier just Kieran had a great collection I mean, of his videos as well yeah yeah I remember um, and, but how does he well, pull this out of his ass I don't know yeah he basically jump started this uh, along with Michelle Gondry and um Chris Cunningham, like this oh, director series. Shit. Yeah, yeah, it was like produced by a Palm video. So they released all these music videos and they're fantastic. Like they're these like two disc sets and you really get to appreciate like what carries over from video to video. Because I mean, yeah, the reason why I included that, vi- that Daft Punk video was because it was the first time I ever saw a music video where I was like, oh shit, like it's not just like serving to promote the, the music. It's actually trying to it's be something else. Yeah, yeah. Because music video is still also a video. You have to have compelling images that marry to it. But also, oh shit, you bring up Chris Cunningham. I have not thought about him in a while. Do you remember that Aphex Twins uh, video was Rubber Johnny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's do you remember film. Rubber Johnny by any chance? It's, so it's all <laughs> shot in this, remember, I like... I rented the Michelle Gondry collection, I rented the Spike Jones collection, but at Chris Cunningham, for whatever reason, I never rented that, co- well, that Chris, collection. Because Chris oh, Cunningham never, like, one. became, like, a mainstream one. director also, so he was never huge. Yeah, yeah. But Rubber Johnny no, was this, like, shot Michelle. in... Yeah, you want to describe it? Um, no, you, I want to hear you describe it. <laughs> well, all right. It's just this... <laughs> well, it's this fucking, like, goop of a man in a wheelchair all of a sudden starting to break dance and shoot lasers out of his fingers. But it's also shot on, like, fucking night vision surveillance camera right. footage or some shit. So yep. it's cool, but also incredibly terrifying. Because there are some yes. shots that they would just, like, push random meets into a mirror and it's supposed to be rubber johnny who literally looks like a fucking like bag of meat on a wheelchair and when he would like go too fast into the camera lens he would squish into the camera lens so you could tell that they were just clearly pressing like pork chops into it it was just disgusting and cool and terrifying and exhilarating all the same time i yeah haven't seen anything since or all of the directors, like of the music video directors, he's the one where I can instantly identify his his stuff stylistically. Like, there's always like a greenish tint to everything he does. Sick. And then, yeah, yeah, and it's just like creepy. Like, there's always like this creepiness factor well, to the videos, and that, that's why it's so amazing to me that Madonna saw his um his like uh his videos for Apex Twin, and I was like, I want this guy to direct Frozen. Yeah, like my music. Well, along these Frozen. lines, I do have one question as a way of kind of bringing this in yeah. for a safe landing. I'm sorry, I've got sidetracked. I went down a rabbit hole in my erotic art profile on Twitter, <laughs> which is I'll save that for later on. Sorry. So as a way of bringing this sucker in for a safe landing, and I want to make sure y'all have a chance to uh, celebrate the form of the music video to your heart's delight. I'm gonna ask both of y'all to pick your top five favorite music video directors. 
and provide one example from each of them in terms of why you don't have to elaborate upon why because it's starting to get late but you just you know Harmon and Kareen and blah 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 or David Venture and blah 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 so Carlo we'll let you go first the floor is yours okay well I mean we've been talking about him for a little bit now too uh, but yeah Chris num- Chris Cunningham is definitely number one and my favorite video of his is Window Licker, hands down, just like that Apex Twin video. It even starts off like a short film, too. I think, and I included it in the playlist. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. It's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, do I keep going? Or oh, keep, do, keep going, yeah. Uh, like I said, yeah, yeah. It's okay. all on you, right. Bish. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I'm going to cop uh, out when you're done and say that I only have one thing to say. <laughs> okay, so uh, number two would be Michelle Gondry, and it would be a tie. It's two videos that he did for uh, the Chemical Brothers. Uh, who I'm not really a big fan of, which is some, which says a lot for her, um, for Gondry and just like how he elevates those two songs. But his video for Star Guitar, which is like a, a, a like a perspective of like being on a train and then watching the landscape change to the music, is just amazing. And then his video for Let Forever Be, which is um, basically about this girl who seems to kind of be in this dream world, which is of course. Uh, trademark of, um, of of Gondry where she can't seem to wake up and then how it changes from because he said that it was inspired by British sitcoms how like they shoot all the indoor stuff with video and then the outdoor stuff with uh, with film so he imitates that in, in the video um, number three would probably be um, Spike Jones um, uh, but it's so hard to pick one of the videos I mean I guess I watched the sabotage video the most but i also do like the funk a lot like that that video really is incredible so it's number three uh number four um uh it isn't a a traditional (laughs) music video because it's actually an installation that um you can only see in museums uh it's uh visitors by um ragnar kittnerson um uh actually moma bought um uh uh the, the piece. So I think once MoMA in New York is done with their uh, their whole renovation and expansion, I think it's going to be on view there. So I highly recommend your New York audience to go check it out. It's an hour long, by the way, but it's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> music video. Um, and uh, number five, uh, shit, I'll, I'll I'll go with Hiro Morai, who's um who's a close mm. uh, uh, collaborator of um, Donald Glover and. Um, Childish Gambino. So, um, and the video um, is um, actually uh, not by Childish Gambino. It's a, uh, it's this video with Massive Attack featuring Tricky called "Take It There," which has a uh, the guy plays Soul Star in uh, in um, Deadwood. What's his name? John Hawks. Gotcha. And, yeah. Oh, Guy Hawks. Guy Hawks or John Hawks? John, John Hawks. John Hawks. Yeah, John Hawks. Yeah, it's a great music video. Yeah. Um, cool. I don't have I don't have five to go through. I would just name five <laughs> white men if you made me do that, uh, and they're the five white men who I know to well, videos. This is a podcast devoted to merit and talent and ability, so you don't have to mention their gender or their race or their sexuality. Just no, no, as in just like I I can't say I know enough about who's directed music videos that I've liked for me. So I would end up just then going David Fincher, Spike Jones, blah, blah, blah. people who I grew up with. Yeah, and everything. They, well, that's that's why they're but they're, they're not necessarily. You my, don't have to feel guilty about filmmakers that oh, are your favorite I know, filmmakers. I don't, I don't feel no, no. I don't feel guilty about that. But there are also music videos that they didn't direct that I don't know who the director gotcha. is. So I don't want to like get into that game. So I just know that Spike Jones is one of my favorite short form directors. Period. To the point where um, I prefer. 
maybe prefer it. Like I didn't, I didn't think too much of her. Uh, I will never yeah. watch Where the Wild Things Are again because it depresses me too much. I'm oh, easily his, depressed. His videos are way stronger than his features. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, Where the Wild Things Are was actually, I would say, is one of the first times I would agree with the criticism of like this is a very long music video. Um, even though I did like that movie, that movie just also put me down in a very big way, and it was a first date. But even it when he's like happened. working with like the jackass guys, like he he just oh, short form short form content. No, but he short, d- it just screams out his name. But also he just he gets a little bit more. Um, he's like playful, hilarious, and, and playful, yeah. and like prankish Dressing and everything up as a fucking like old lady that. And yeah, his I, dress ripped off. There's something a little <laughs> bit freer about him in those works, or and, his weird little stunts, like when like he would like do like the fat boy slim song, where like they're all like breakdancing in front of like a movie. Right, right. I love that shit. Yeah, I love that. Shit. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that that yeah. So his last two movies, I, I haven't been, really been able to connect with, but all his short form stuff, I really do love. Delightful. Yeah. And um, yeah. I would actually argue to say that the, the I'm gonna go ahead and not say it's my favorite video, but the first thing that really shocked me that I ever watched, and it was when I was really young watching the MTV Top 100 music videos of all time, and I think oh. number one was. Um, his prodigy music video, uh, "Slap My Bitch Up" or whatever, "Smack oh, My Bitch Up." <laughs> um, I know it's I very odd it. that you would. I was leading up into this with five white men, and I said his yeah. my favorite video is "Smack My Bitch Up." But uh, it's that prodigy video. I'm pretty sure it's him. If if you're on your computer right now, look it up and correct me, and then I'll change who's my favorite music video <laughs> director. But it, it was that like, do you guys remember this music video? I'm sure I should oh, tell it to the audience if anything. So powerful. Um, actually, Nikhil, I wanted to say that you know the show that uh, I'm trying to develop, like that's one of my touchstones. I, I don't know if I mentioned that. No, you didn't yeah. mention that to me. Yeah, when we yeah, were talking but about it is, it. yeah. But uh, so, so smack my bitch up is it's all like for a, a point of view camera. It's very fast and loose. It's a rip roaring ride through a single night of this individual who's getting fucked up, fucking random people, it's vomiting in bathrooms. Who Jonas is it directed Ackerland. by? Jonas Ackerlund. Jonas, Jonas Ackerlund. He All right, made, well, um, then that's, that's who my favorite music video director is. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually very good. Yeah. All right, well, that one fucked me up. So, Spike Jones, I'll get back to you after this because I do like your music <laughs> videos too. But yeah. that music video, very specifically, is one of the most visceral things I have ever watched in oh, my yeah. fucking life. And so, yeah. the entire idea is that it's a, like, it's a very roided out music video. It's very fast, point of view shots. There's fucking, there's fist fights, there's vomiting, there's brawls and yeah. uh, pubs and everything. And then there's some the more fucking He's done at the well end. over 100 music videos. The only thing I've seen by him is the action movie he did with Mads Mikkelsen, Polar, which came out on Netflix yeah. earlier this year. But he did like That's Lord, that yeah. person. Yeah, but he also did Lords of Chaos. And, uh, but he's got. Yeah, he's got 142 That's credits, gross. but they're all music videos. Well, well, this music video is good. I don't know about that fucking movie. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a total standout. Like it, it's been banned too. Like it was never really it was banned. It was banned for the longest time. The name's called "Smack yeah. My Bitch Up." Yeah, it's probably yeah, yeah. song it's, is probably incredible. "Smack My Bitch Up." He's got up. some Rammstein videos. Uh, Rammstein. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, and, the and so there's a twist yeah. ending. But if you're gonna look it up, yeah, Jamie, after this, I'm not gonna it. fucking give it away. That's what I was gonna say. Like, don't say the twist. You know, it's It's about 30 years old, but I'm not gonna give it away. 1997. Yeah, "Smack My Bitch Up." Five minutes um, long, gotcha. Jesus Christ, man, that's a long time ago. So it's 20 years ago. So, But no, Spike Jones. going back to Spike Jones. Spike Jones is my boy. I do really like his short form. And I could say that I remember most of his videos in a way... I've even added videos to his filmography, apparently, that aren't don't belong to him. But I remember his videos in a way that I don't remember anyone else's videos. I remember his commercials in a way that I don't remember any other I just found the uncensored version of Prodigy's banned music videos. I'll be watching that as soon as this draws to a close. Uh, I'll yeah. watch it with you. But going back yes, to that, yeah, also, yes, I guess yeah. Mark Romanak did make one of my favorite, the guy who did One Hour Photo, and unfortunately... Yeah. 
Did, no, he didn't do Hitchhiker's Guide, but he did also. No, then, he did uh, um, Never um, Let Me Go. Never Let Me Go, which I also enjoyed. He yeah. did a great Fiona Apple video. His that's my favorite Fiona Apple video, Criminal, which I brought up yes. earlier, which is Criminal, her first like big huge hit that got her across. But also, I would want to give a shout out to there's an artist that I've been following of late, Algis Harding, who co-directs all her music videos that I would like people to go out and check out. Very simply shot, but also very imaginative, and she performs in them. And I think she has a very kooky stage presence also that I really enjoy. So Algis Harding, so oh, yeah. uh, The Barrel, Fixture Picture, all her music videos are worth checking out. She's fucking dope. She's a great actress and a fucking great director, it turns out. So Has Gaspar Noé done any music videos? I feel like he's got a music video I mean, sensibility. Climax, I mean, Climax is basically... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that the was pretty dope. Credits, yeah, oh, that opening sequence. dance sequence. Wow. I've yeah, watched that more times than anything else yeah, this Sophia year. Batella, he and he should work together more frequently. Absolutely. He should do a straight-on <laughs> musical, though. Like, not just two dance sequences, right. but a full-on fucked-up musical with singing, dancing, the whole nines. But, yeah, that, 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 that's my take on that. <laughs> well, Carla, any final words on Paul Thomas Anderson, his music videos, his ooh, um, whatever you want to say? This is your chance yeah, to okay. uh, get the final word in I, over Mikhail. I mean, I, I, oh no, I'll talk after him. To the, the cinematographer of, of Anima, um, Darius Konji, who's collaborated with David Fincher. Like, I really hope that uh, they collaborate again together on a, maybe a feature, even. Like, I, I don't know if, like, He's not working with Robert Ellswith anymore. If that's <laughs> that partnership's ended, well, no, but, no, it didn't end because Ellswith was doing something else during Phantom Threat, right, so he, he thought he would yeah. just fucking do it due to scheduling reasons. Right? Yeah, he was doing Roman J Israel, which is such. So what much are you better. talking about? I got nominated for best lead performance <laughs> for a person who would. No, but yeah, he should collaborate with Darius Conji. I'll say that, and then um, also, yeah, like check out this uh, this playlist that I put together. Yeah, just DM me videos. a link after we finish recording, and I right. will include yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, please, PTA, make another contemporary movie set in the contemporary world. I'd love to see that. So, yeah, that's it. All right. Any any inside info, Mikhail, on what what his next script is? Uh, well, I mean, last I heard that he's still just plucking away from his a thousand page script that he once wrote to make something for <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. I don't know if he's still working with Tiffany Haddish, but I remember last oh, I fucking heard that's what they were. He was trying to do something, uh, that was set again in an earlier decade in LA in a black centric community. So that would be a change of pace for him for sure. As far as just not depicting white I guess uh, is John Cheadle yeah. the only major black character in any of his flicks from Boogie Nights? So he's like, does it make you just want a freaky deaky? And like, uh, so I don't, yeah, I don't know anyone else though who has been. But uh, as I was telling Carlo earlier, I'm surprised that he hasn't come out under fire in any sort of way. But I guess since he keeps selling period pieces, he kind of like insulates himself from that. Or maybe people just recognize that artists can tell whatever the fuck stories oh, they want. Oh, but we all know that people like to get pissed <laughs> off at the slightest well, fucking Well, like, I saw, I saw a post today where people were criticizing Greta Gerwig for doing Little Women and having it be all white women. I was like... It's That's a- what the fucking book's about! <laughs> <laughs> but, once again... It's like peop- filmmakers, if I want to do a movie, like say Akira Kurosawa wanted to do Seven Samurai today, be like, oh my God, like how come you've only got Japanese men in this movie? It's like, well, that's, that's the story right. I'm telling. Like, I'm sure I'll be shit on for this comment at some point in my life if I decide, like ever get to the next on- uh, whatever stage of filmmaking. But one of my, I feel like there's this sort of standard of, if you're especially a white guy and you want to direct something and you make it a, like an all-white picture, you're like, 
oh, what, you didn't want to include someone behind or in front of the camera. So like, all right, well, my next picture, I'm going to try to like do this thing about other people that aren't from my realm or anything, and then I'll put people behind the camera, and then I'll make that movie. That actually would Bill- be hysterical, though, if you had an no, no, all-black no. crew for an all-white cast. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, who's the guy who does all the, the, the black comedies? I never see any of them, but they're like... Tyler Perry? Yeah, like yeah. if Tyler Perry did an all-white movie crew. but with an entire oh, black crew that'd actually be hysterical it'd be a great gimmick um well my 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 thing is like if i did try to make a movie about another group of people that weren't something that i was familiar with but i did a lot of research into and then made that movie people would probably say what right did you have to tell other people's story it was like all right well you don't want me to tell me i don't want you don't want me telling me my story know, it's, and you it's don't like, want me telling other people's right. story so what story what am i left should i just fuck off and find another career no, if you just talk about white people you get in trouble but if you talk about somebody else you're taking away their stories so it's I mean, it's one of the things where filmmakers should have to say fuck off fuck it. i'm gonna make whatever no, because, movie i want because then i mean i guess the bottom line is though when the filmmaker as we're talking about paul thomas anderson tells something so fucking honest even if it's hidden behind decades removed someone could tell you're doing something honest to yourself well the reality right? is the people that make these complaints are the least interesting human beings who have in ever the world lived, also yeah and they have no sense of humor and they have no understanding of how art functions and so i feel like it's the yeah. obligation of artists like paul thomas anderson to just be true to their instincts and not worry about the consequences yeah. well that's also for a certain reason why i'm not really watching movies in theaters anymore or trying to keep up with modern day criticism i'm just trying to Write what I want to write. You're not at the watching moment. my YouTube channel. I actually do watch a YouTube channel from time to time because you'll do a review on something I've watched. I'm like, now I'm curious, or something I'm about to watch. I'm like, oh, is it going to be worth yeah. it? I'm going to watch this. Although I'm kind of surprised that you're doing Legion because I remember when Legion first came out, I wasn't you were it. not reviewing. Yeah, it. I, I wasn't into it at all. Yeah, and then I came around. Yeah, yeah. I am capable of evolving and growing. We're all capable of evolving <laughs> and growing, like the career of Paul Thomas Anderson. Boom. Right. Let's call uh, there it. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, Carlo, as always, it's a pleasure and a privilege having you on the podcast. Love getting you on. And since you seem to be down for it last time, I might have to cook up another weird game for the next time you come on. Like, you seem Absolutely. to do yeah, yeah. the spirit I mean, of things. There, yeah, he named five directions in the way that I kind of. Yeah, and there's a few things coming out that uh, I'd be interested to discuss, like uh, Ad Astra. I mean, like, have mm. you ever discussed James Gray on the I podcast? I love James Gray. He, I love James Gray. He, yeah, like that would be great for us to talk about. I think Mikhail James Gray. The so. filmography of James Gray. Yeah, when that actually. Yeah, it's very small. I do so like him. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy. Yeah, it's fairly <laughs> small. But right. he's a very classical director in the way that classical directors don't really exist anymore. He's a, he's kind right. of David he's a David Lean who's maybe modernized somewhat, <laughs> you know, enough for people mm-hmm. to watch it. But he's. Yeah, I like him. All right, that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, it'd be Can't fun. Wait. Yeah, it'd be fun to do because I, I barely know his stuff. I saw that Lost City of Z one, and Did I you like I, it. It's a weird thing where I, I was um, as I was, I was I was into it as I was watching it, but I can barely remember and then it. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we it, bonded it over me in that a weird Mikhail, way. Like, we both love that movie. Yeah, so. yeah. I guess me and Carla. Are, I really uh, admire yeah. though the spirit in which he is making his movies, but I'm just I'm, I'm almost a complete blank slate when it comes to his work. Yeah. So. Well, a lot right. of it is actually uh, also Russian based and set in Brian Beach, which is. Uh, uh, in line for me so yeah beautiful well we hope you all have enjoyed this podcast but if you go to teespring.com you'll find wrong real t-shirts for male and women male and women for men and women <laughs> available for but mailing I, women across yeah, but the I, country but I, but I'm going to try to add some more variety uh, in, in the near future but if you want to get some swag that is now is slowly, one of them my face 
Uh, yeah, but we can get Tony Stella to draw you. I'm, I'm, right. I'm sure. I think we should get all the founders <laughs> wrong reel, including Parker. <laughs> but Parker's is a bag over his face. Yeah, we'll, By all means. we'll find something interesting to we'll do something. on that front. In any event, if you want to hear some more content, you can always hunt down my YouTube channel, which I mentioned, YouTube, uh, by Geeking with James Hancock, which is now at 16,300 and change subscribers, slowly but surely. Getting closer to that 20,000 mark. I'm really trying to make that push, but hunt down Carlo on social. Carlo, where can people find you if, if, uh, if they don't know uh, you already? Yep. Instagram. Uh, I I have been checking Twitter a little bit, so uh, Instagram. I'm, I'm Instagram slash uh, Astrofish with a C. Uh, and shout out to Jacob Rivera for following me. I, I'm sure he listened to the episode and he followed Carlo. Carlo, the C before or after the S? Ah, uh, the C is S. silent. R O C K. Spelling of fish. Well, you yeah, know, just and, in and case for those who yeah, are like me Twitter. i don't fucking like, remember I, I follow you guys so like yeah they can yeah. find me through you guys so and mikhail yeah. where can people find you online um i will be on twitter for the two weeks after this comes out at the karadimov that's uh, k-a-r-a-d-i-m-o-v sounds groovy well we hope you all enjoyed the show thanks so much for <laughs> listening but more importantly as always onwards and upwards it ain't like it used to be but uh, it'll do you know how to whistle don't you You just put your lips together and blow.